At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. tune that is joe unbelievable people boo that's these guys all-time. people boo these guys are you kidding how that's an all-time it's an all-timer that's an all-time yeah. entrance theme it's like right in the time period too you know what i mean it's so perfect for for that time period just like you know something in the chat room jacob said like you know a 1985 cop drama or cop show you know it's perfect it's great what a great song yeah and a great tag team and Absolutely. a great wrestler an all-time great wrestler so um that that just man that just puts you in the mood to like turn on an old clash of champions yeah or- oh it, it, what unfortunately what happened today is i so I was, I was going back and watching a lot of uh uh you know midnight express matches and i got to the fantastics uh midnight express i forget which date uh it, it was i watched a bunch of them today and it got me back remember when we did the uwf tag team uh deep dive 
and we heard yeah. Sharp Dress Man like 80 times in the yeah. course of like, and then that song gets stuck in your head and you are just bouncing around the house to that song. You know what I mean? Just going. Mm-hmm. That happened today. I was I'm a, I was riding home from work and I was like, you know what I'm going to listen to even though it, it was stuck in my head? Uh, Sharp Dress Man. And then I listened to it I, maybe 10 times in a row while I'm at home cleaning and stuff. It just gets in your head. It's just a little earworm, but what a great time period for music. That guy died too to ZZ Top. Uh, oh, that's right. Right. Top yeah, that is right. I forgot about that. But I watched a shit ton of Midnight Express stuff over the last, you know, 12 hours or so. So that theme song is what's stuck in my head. I'm walking around the house humming that. Yeah. It's stuck in my head. Who has the audacity to boo these guys? You know? Well, I guess thing about James that, E. Cornette was a good <laughs> did a good job of that. So, well, no, the thing about that was a lot of people didn't. I mean, they were actually very, very popular. A lot like the Horsemen, they'd get cheered in a lot of places, you know. So they were the Horsemen and the Midnight Express were the original Smarks choice for we're going to cheer these heels. Yeah, right, right. So you know, you you know, you're joking, but. You know, they did get cheered in a ton of places. And when it came to newsletter readers and smarks of the day, uh, they were extremely popular. So uh, back when Meltzer had readers, readers, personal favorite wrestler, like in the awards, Ric Flair and the Midnight Express would always do very well. And they were heels. They were always heels. So, um, of course, Bobby Eaton passes away at the age of 62 and uh we're going to lead off the show with that because Bobby Eaton you know the Midnight Express is not just arguably the greatest tag team of all time they might be the two greatest tag teams of all time i mean you could make that argument that the Bobby Eaton Dennis Condry version and the Bobby Eaton Stan Lane version if you want to split them up they're two of the five greatest teams of all time. I mean, there's a lot of people that would make that argument, and it would be hard to argue with them. Um, which which Bobby, of the two do you prefer? Is, is, you I, know, I don't know if that's an interesting question. I might have a hot take on that, but I'm, I'm, I don't know if I have a hot take or not on that. But, but who do you prefer? I, I used to be a lane guy, and over the years, I've started to lean more towards a Conjury guy. The thing about the two versions is... I think the Condry version was more hard-hitting and a little more nasty, particularly in squash matches, where the Lane version was a little more flashy. I mean, both versions took on the personalities to some extent of Condry and Lane, when you really look at it. Yeah. And, and Bobby Eaton was so great that he could fit in with either. I mean, even his work changed to some degree, depending which guy he was teaming with. I mean, he always did the high-flying stuff no matter what, and he really was um, a, an innovative and ahead-of-his-time high-flyer. You know, oh, for that's sure. one thing. Yeah, well, watching yeah, his stuff I mean, today and, and, and really digging in, obviously, I've, I've seen a ton of his stuff, but today it was really like, okay, I'm going to focus, I'm going to watch or whatever, and, and you hear that all the time from him. Like, you, you know, when we say that about a lot of guys, like a little bit ahead of their time, a little bit ahead of their time, but he is a dude that definitely was like just a couple years ahead of his time because if if, if he does what he's doing, you know, in, in the 80s, and it was it was amazing what he was doing. I mean, the stuff he was doing in the 80s was awesome. It was like, really, no, he's not, you know, he's nowhere near like, you know, he's not Rey Mysterio out there or whatever, but he's leaping around, he's jumping around. I mean, 
you, you could definitely see this guy fitting in if he still had the body and his body could hold up. Like 90s WCW cruiserweight division, you could absolutely see him fitting perfectly into that after his you know tag team uh, run is done. Or, yeah, who knows what could have happened. I mean, early 2000s WWF, you could definitely see him fitting in there. Like, he definitely, I mean, it's fine, like, because he, he was exactly in the era that he needed to be in, but he is one of those guys that, that he was great in the early 80s, he was great in the mid 80s, great in the late 80s, great in the late 90s or the early 90s, and had his body held up. Would have been good in the late 90s to the 2000s. Even as the working era would have changed or the working standard would have changed, he would have still been great. I have no doubt about that. He could have adapted to, to anything. And like you're saying, even in the tag team, you saw it. He was a little bit more of a you know, a little bit more of a brawler, a little bit more kind of, you know. Rugged. Yeah, a little, a little more rugged. rugged with the country stuff. And then you get Lane and, you know, Lane's out there. And I, I prefer the Lane team because of that. Uh, and I like that, you know, Lane will get it there. He'll throw a little sidekick. He'll throw a little, you know, jab in the stomach because he's got karate lessons. Or not right. a karate background. <laughs> did, did Stan Lane actually have a karate? background or no i don't i don't think he did either yeah because like he would do like a somewhat mild kick and be like whoa there's that karate background coming into play and i'm like i don't know that doesn't look like a a a perfect karate but uh no i like that version a little bit more because they bounce around the ring a lot of quick tags little you know i i prefer that a little bit over the kanji stuff but like you said both of them are just elite elite all-time great tag teams and just you know what what you get from eaton when you watch him uh, especially today i I just kind of noticed it as well uh, his innovative offense obviously speaks for itself. We'll talk a little bit about that. But this guy could bump his ass off. And it's like when it was time for hit, for the babyface to get the comeback, he'd get in the ring there. And whatever they did to him, I mean, he is bouncing up and down and taking these huge bumps and landing on the top of his head and landing on his hip. And just, yeah, he was just incredible, incredible at selling. Uh, I, I actually prefer his selling to his offense. And his offense is, 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 is incredible as well. So, Oh, those guys could bump their asses Oh, my God, yeah. But but the, Eaton could really fit in any time in any place. I mean, you could plop him in 2005 Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? right. I mean, yeah. you could do that. You know, you can plop him on Dynamite next week, and he just uh, was ahead of his time in a lot of ways, uh, particularly with the flying. You know, a, a lot of times you hear this and you kind of just roll your eyes, but. He really did throw a great punch. Like he had a great. He's one of those guys who really had a great punch. I mean, you hear that thrown around, but he really had one. Um, and as far as tag team work, you know, he's in the conversation for greatest tag team wrestler of all time, with with right there with uh, Ricky Morton or his or Arn Anderson, who he was a obviously in a tag team with. Uh, you know, later in his career, and and whoever else you want to name, Johnny Gargano is a guy who, at least on this show, we consider uh, one of the greats in terms of uh, a tag team work. Uh, you go right down the line, name whoever you want to name. I mean, he's he's right there. Again, top five greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. I don't think you get much dispute at all, uh, it, it, you know, when you're talking about Bobby Eaton. And forget tag teams. I just think he was a great wrestler. I mean, the guy was just a great Pro wrestling. Well, that's and that's something I wanted to bring up. I'm sure we're going to go kind of over his career. We'd like to do that kind of beat by beat. But but my real exposure to Bobby Eaton initially, and 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 really my preferred wrestling style as well, is singles matches. Like I grew up in an era where tag team wrestling wasn't that important. You know, I I really started getting into you know wrestling by you know 96, 97, 98 when you know tag teams are, are pretty irrelevant in, in the major companies. It's all about the singles stars. It's all about the singles matches and all that sort of stuff. So for me, like I remember first seeing Bobby Eaton as kind of like WCW Nitro jobber. You know, Bobby Eaton. There he wasn't necessarily a jobber. Just kind of like lower mid card guy. I don't know if I'd consider him quite a jobber, but you know, and then I would go back and watch some of his stuff and the stuff that 
I am always gravitated towards. And yeah, he's an incredible tag team wrestler, one of the best ever. But I'm always gravitated towards his singles matches as well. 91, 92, 93. Uh, he's doing great stuff all over the place in WCW. And, and you know, he'd carry that on until the mid-90s. Because going back and watching old Nitros, there's a Nitro match with Rey Mysterio. And I mentioned I invoked the name of Rey Mysterio earlier. Bobby Eaton goes, like, he's he's right there with Rey Mysterio. Like, peak, like, 19-year-old Rey Mysterio. He's right there with them. Uh, there's just some awesome stuff. You dig into the Bobby Eaton stuff. Monsoon Classic has a bunch. Uh, you just go on YouTube and look up Bobby Eaton. Like, I, I implore you, like, yeah, of course watch the tag team stuff. The tag team stuff stands out. But do not underrate this guy as a singles wrestler either. I mean, he is so good in some of those matches. And, and there's matches you could tell with guys that wanted to work with him. And I think that's always the one of the biggest things is, you know, there's singles matches that he probably doesn't deserve to have at the time, given his booking. Like, there's an NWA title match against Ric Flair. There's, like, worldwide matches with Randy Savage. I mean, you, you think Randy Savage was going to pop over to Worldwide and just wrestle whoever you told him he was going to wrestle? No, he was like, you know, he probably got there and they said, all right, who do you want to work? And he says, uh, Bobby, yeah, let's go, you know, we'll do Bobby. Well, like, do you know that, well, you know that Randy Savage and, and Bobby Eaton worked with each other when they were both young wrestlers. Yes, yeah, I actually, I, I actually found out about that and I need to find this I don't know if anybody has this apparently him and uh, Eaton and, and Leaping Lanny were a tag team for a while as well and I would Eaton, love to see that in 1979 to see what those two dudes are doing you know that's going to be tricky footage to find but Eaton was in you know it's not just the Condry Midnights and the Lane Midnights how about the team with Coco Beware? How much of that have you seen? I've seen very little. I know there was a bunch of it up today, and I, I, I kept stumbling upon it, and I was just like, ah, but I need to watch. I was wanted, I wanted to watch this one. I want to watch this one. I wanted, and I, I kept. I just gravitated towards midnights and singles matches or whatever. And I should have watched more of the Coco stuff because I've seen very little. I've probably seen maybe a match or two, but but not really enough to to give any you know strong thoughts about. I mean, the Coco team was considered one of the best teams of its time when it existed, and you, you have to search though. See, you got to search Sweet Brown Sugar too, though. Yes, because Coco right, right. was working as Sweet Brown Sugar for for some of that run. So you'll get more results, you know, wherever it is you look for your matches, whether it's YouTube or Daily Motion or yeah. CD underhanded sites that we can't speak of. You know, make was, sure you search. I just didn't, not to inter- not to interrupt, but I, I was basically going down the list. Chad Campbell, who's that big boys played WCW. Oh, that thread is incredible. Uh, yeah, that I basically went through that thread and watched everything that I I knew I hadn't seen. So it's again, it's at Big Boys Play WCW. I will probably put a link in the, in the show notes as well. Uh, it's Chad Campbell doing 62 Bobby Eaton matches you should watch. So it's just a little gif uh, and, and the date of the match and, and who's participating in it. But all you have to do is then t- you know copy that and search, and you'll be able to find most of those things that are on there. So He's got some Coco Ware, Bobby Eaton tag matches in that thread. I yes, saw them. Yes, he does. Yeah, and I, 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 I unfortunately watched. skipped those, and I should not have, but I did. No, yeah, go back. I highly recommend that. And then even late career. I mean, I mentioned the team with Arn. And, you know, all the Dangerous Alliance stuff is oh, yeah, great. Right. Blue Bloods, Blue blood stuff. And they, Right. And then the Blue Bloods. How about Bad Attitude with Steve Kern? <laughs> I forgot about Bad Attitude. You're right. Yeah. And that's another great tag team worker in Steve Kern. Another guy who was in a legendary tag team with the Fabulous Ones. And so it's kind of like a melding of two worlds. You've got the Midnights and the Fabulous Ones coming together. And I remember when Bad Attitude was put together there in 93, 94, whatever it was. Uh, Smarks were very excited about that because of that factor. It's like, holy shit, it's the fucking fabulous ones and the Midnights uh, in one package here. Now, they, I think they only wrestled on like mostly, uh, you know, the B and C shows, the Worldwides and and, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. But um, there's so many little gems in those little matches on WCW Saturday night and on main event and on Worldwide and all that. And I bet you, you know, if you go through that, 
Can I run off some bad attitude wrecks off the top of my head? Of course not. These were TV matches from 25 years ago, but I remember watching them during their short run, which probably only lasted, you know, four months, six months or whatever it was. And, uh, and, and, and enjoying their work in those little six, seven minute TV matches. And there's probably some really cool matchups that people have forgotten about. If you go back and dig that stuff up. So, you know, you could even, uh, you know, any, any time, any tag team he was in was interesting. I mean, I, you know, now listen, you know, you want to bring up jet set with George Goulas, you know, go right ahead. George Goulas, if people don't know, is one of the worst pushed wrestlers of all time. And, Eaten, broken. Had the right last name. Eaten. Had the right last name for sure. <laughs> that got you a lot of places. So yeah, you know, a lot like Angelo Mosca Jr. and <laughs> you know, and David Flair and and Dominic. Yeah. You know, you get you get guys like this that come every every couple of years. Eric Watts is another one. Um, you know, you go right down the line. There's so many um, awful uh, sons of wrestlers who were just atrocious. He was one of them. He may have been the worst, but that tag team Jet Set. I mean, they were pushed. And really, that was, you know, in Bobby Eaton's formative years. And and he made a name in that tag team. And, uh, you know, eventually hooked up with Dennis Condry. And, they, you know, the original, there's been probably a half a dozen versions of Midnight Express. The first Midnight Express, of course, was uh, was Dennis Condry, Randy Rose, and Norval Austin. It was a three-man team. Um, or was it Eaton? I'm getting confused now. It was... Uh, it was what was the original Midnight Express. It was uh, Andre. I think it was Condry Rose and uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Eaton ended up with Condry. So you know, and, and and then eventually with Stan Lane. Those are the two most famous versions. But um, you know, he had other versions of the team uh, over the years too. Of course, uh, some people might remember. Uh, bodacious Bart and uh, what was bombastic, uh, bombastic. Bart. I think it was was it bodacious Bart or bombastic Bob? I forget. It's one of the two. Who cares? Whatever. One yeah, of the Bob Holly. It was, and Bart it was, yeah, it was, it was undoubtedly the least memorable version. But it was managed by Cornette, yeah. and you know it's it's an official version. But um, yeah, so uh, you know, obviously, uh, not a lot of people remember Jet Set, but you know, the Midnight Express, of course. Uh, through both versions had that had that uh that great run there through not just Jim Crockett either I mean you know and this was something I just learned about a few years ago but I didn't realize what mega draws the Midnight Express were in Mid-South I mean they were enormous draws for Bill Watts and you know they went through Texas as well and they had matches against the 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 Fantastics in Mid-South, in Texas, in Jim Crockett. And to me, I, I know everyone associates the Midnight Express with the Rock and Roll Express, and they, don't get me wrong, some of the greatest tag team matches of all time. But you know my stance on this because we've talked about it mm-hmm. a million times. I prefer the Midnights versus the Fantastics. I just thought they had more exciting matches. And, and really, yeah, I mean, you're comparing all-timers versus all-timers here. So it's like splitting hairs. But I, I thought that those matches were just a little more dynamic and um, and a little bit better. And and they wrestled them in in uh, I guess they wrestled Rock and Roll Express in a bunch of different places too. Yeah. Oh but, yeah. 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 They did stuff in Mid South and, and and World Class or whatever with with, with them and, and Jim Crockett. Yeah. I think I know your stance, and a lot of people might you know be taken aback by that. But having watched a bunch of them, I'm I'm kind of with you. And it's it's 
the problem with the rock and roll ones is like if I was there live in the building, I'd probably prefer the rock and roll uh, versus Midnight Express because it's just molten hot. But as far as like we're nerds, you know what I mean? Like when the bell rings and that sort of stuff like rock and roll. I love rock and roll express, obviously, but like you kind of get what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like every match structure is kind of the same or whatever. And and they're awesome. They're, they're really, really cool. But you get a little bit more of kind of the nerdy in ring work uh, between the Fantastics, whereas rock and roll they don't really have to do much because all they have to do is, you know, get beaten, tag, you know, punch, punch, huge pops. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 pretty simple what they have to do. So they, they don't they don't overcomplicate it too often, and nor do they need to. But I uh, know I I kind of prefer the Fantastics matches too between them. So and then towards the end of the um, WCW run, you know, to circle back to the top of our conversation, they did get to work babyface because then Paulie dangerously brought in the original Midnight Express, Randy Rose and Dennis Condry to feud with uh, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. And, you know, that feud, you know, uh, was, you know, kind of a dud at the end of the day and it didn't draw any money or anything like that. But uh, that was interesting because you got to see Cornette, uh, Lane, and Eaton work as baby faces, you know, um, instead of de facto baby faces like they were, you know, a lot of different buildings and everything. So uh, there was there was that feud. And it, it really, it gave us a chance to see Cornette and Paul Lee have dueling promos, you know, which is probably the most memorable thing about that feud. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, but Bobby Eaton, you know, all the great tag teams. But again, I think what I don't want to get lost in that is he was just a great wrestler, period. I mean, he's a guy who was also a great singles wrestler. He wasn't like, uh, this isn't like, um, you know, I really don't want to tear anybody down, but. It's not like like what kind of career would did Robert Gibson have outside of his tag team? You know what I mean? It's a it, it, Bobby Eaton. You know, no one. I don't think anyone considers Robert Gibson like a great wrestler. But Bobby Eaton was a great wrestler who also happened to be in a lot of great tag teams. Yeah. And well, I, you, you mentioned even the other guys that we've mentioned. Think about all the guys we've mentioned so far, and they've all they all had like you know whatever small little runs or whatever. But yeah, there's nothing. You know, Stan Lane single runs. <laughs> As you said, Robert Gibson, you know, singles runs. Uh, freaking, yeah, they're just not. Yeah, he had a prolonged one. He was a TV champion. He w- faced Ric Flair in that uh, Clash of the Champions. I forget the number. I, I guess probably on the five star match game this week, <laughs> the Clash of the Champions number that one was on, where him and Flair are in the two out of three falls match. And like I said, there's there's good Bobby Eaton singles matches until like literally like 1999. Like he's still out there. I think 98 or 99. I, I might be wrong on that exactly, but there's still stuff that's like really good. And you watch them, it's all on Saturday night, it's all on Worldwide, it's all on that sort of stuff, but but there's some really good stuff there. But no, like in terms of stuff where he was actually pushed as a commodity, like 1991, when Condry when leaves and, and, and you know, finally they just say, okay, we're not bringing you back, dude. <laughs> you know, after he came and went like 15 times, they just said, all right, you know what, just go away, like we're good. Uh, they, they Eaton stuck around and, and yeah, he became a singles guy and won the TV title and bounced around and did some stuff with great matches with Arn Anderson. There's a few really, really fun ones with Arn Anderson you can find in there. As I said, Ric Flair clearly thought highly of this guy because he went out there and had a lot of matches with Bobby Eaton at the time. So there's a lot of good stuff. I'm I'm glad you brought that era of Eaton up, like that 91, 92-ish era, uh, you know, where where Lane retires or leaves or whatever. And and they give him the deal and he sticks around. And and you're right. He he did have a – that's probably – maybe outside of some super early stuff, his peak single stuff is probably from that era. And I'm just thinking about it. And I I think, you know, to also kind of bring a full circle, I think the original Midnight Express, Condry Rose and Austin, I think they feuded with Eaton and Coco Ware at one point. Now that I think about it, 
um, as sweet, you know, Coco Ware. Now, yeah, now Coco, Coco Beware. To me, now, you know what I think. It oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, you never, he, you never miss an opportunity to tell people how wrong they probably are about Coco Ware. So go ahead. It is so unfair the reputation he has because he was a jobber all those years when a lot of fans were kids, and that makes an impression on people. And even his work as a jobber in WWF was great. I mean, the guy was great. But you go before that and examine his career. I mean, he is legitimately one of the most underrated wrestlers of his generation. Coco Beware. Whether it's Coco Beware, Coco Ware, Sweet Brown Sugar, however you want to slice it up. Um, you know, he can he he was stiff when he had to be, he was nasty when he needed to be. Another guy who was ahead of his time when it came to uh uh, flying maneuvers and agility and those sorts of things. He would have been, Coco Ware would have been an enormous star in this era. I mean, because he was short and he didn't have size and that was really the only thing holding him back. And that wouldn't have held him back at all today, his size. Um, and, and he would have just excelled and he could have fit right in, you know, working uh, indies when they were at their peak or, or, you know, just like Eaton, he, he's the kind of guy who you could have slid in anywhere. Which oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the thing with Coco. Team and, and going back and finding Yeah. That's the thing with Coco, too, is and, and why he would survive in today is like he's not a, I mean, he might be like somewhat short or quote unquote short for that era, but he's such a big dude. You know, he's so wide or whatever that that yeah. they would, yeah, he's thick. They, they would have totally figured out a way to use this guy. Like, you, you can't, you, there's no chance in hell that like if he debuts in like 2003, 2004 or whatever, he's not like one of the biggest stars in wrestling for the next decade because, yeah, they'd be able to find a way to use him. It, it didn't matter how short he was because he was thick and he was, he was wide or whatever so uh no doubt it would have worked and yeah it is it is disappointing that uh yeah like you and, and you never miss an opportunity to say it but yeah had he not had that run in WWF and had he, people not known him as the guy with the bird like you know what what could his career have been or what what could it have been but you know it is what it is so you think about Eaton he has been in some of the best matches of all time I mean think about this you've got the war games match yeah, Which I was going to say, Russell War 92, he's in that one. I, I always forget that he's a part of that. The tag team matches against the Fantastics, which there's at least two or three of those that are regarded among the greatest tag team matches of all time. The tag team matches against the Rock and Roll Express, where, again, you could probably pick two or three that are regarded as among the greatest tag team matches of all time. The match against the Southern Boys that we just talked about at Great American Bash 90. Yes. Again. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Great American Match 1990 uh, versus Steve Armstrong, Tracy Smothers talked about. Unfortunately, he talked about a lot of those guys recently. So, again, regarded as one of the greatest tag team matches of all time. Am I adding any hyperbole to these? I mean, these. No. I'm not no, overstating I mean, them. No. I mean, honestly, like you mentioned, the, the the Fantastics one. I think the one that you're probably bringing up is the 1988 one. That one. And five, I love the one in Texas. I love the one in in. In world class too. Yeah, yeah You're yeah. talking about the uh, the one the eighty eight one that you're talking about is probably the uh, the one from uh, Crockett, and then they had one. See, they had they had so many. They had the, they had a couple in eighty eight actually. Because isn't there one? There's one from the Great American Bash. That yeah, might this be the is one this the, no. This one is the yeah. one that this is on on Cage Match. If you sort Bobby Eaton or whatever, nine point seven three on Cage Match. Five stars from Dave Meltzer as well. This is on April. Uh, April 26, April 1988. I think it's a TV yeah. one. I think it's a TV match. Yeah, and then they had one on a clash a few months later, which is also, uh, you know, a legendary tag team match. So, 
uh, when you, and then you have the Rock and Roll Express matches. You've got the match with the Southern Boys. Right, yeah, and- the Southern Boys one just lets you know 8.58 on, on Cage Match as well. So it's not like, you know, you might be like, oh, I love these. Everybody loves these matches. You know what I mean? These are, as you said, well-regarded as top tier. I mean, 66 votes, 8.56. I mean, that, that's a, that's... That means it's good. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's a lot of no hyperbole then. That that's definitely one. And yeah, that war games match, obviously, that well regarded as the only, the best war games match. And I would I would argue the only really actually truly good war games match. But you know, people pretend that people because of that match, because of that nineteen ninety two one, including beautiful Bobby's uh <laughs> you know, abilities there, people all the time now think war games matches are good when in fact most of them are shit and bad. So uh but credit to to, to beautiful Bobby, Larry, Rick Rude, Steve Austin, and Arn Mason for uh, holding up the I'm trying to think. They had that TV match against the Fantastics. They had the Clash from Clash of Champions, and then they had Great American Bash too, didn't they? Which was another yes, great match. Yes, that was yeah, Great American Bash in '88. Yeah, that that one is 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 very well regarded as well. Seven point seven one on on Cage Match. Yeah. So, and then they had a they they had a match or two in World Class against the Fantastics, which was also which were also tremendous. So, I mean, this is why I say I I, <laughs> I do give that. I do give that the edge to the Rock and Roll Express matches. I, I do. I give it a slight edge. Not that the Rock and Roll Express matches weren't great because they obviously were. Um, probably the one that people like the best. Um, if you're talking about Stan Lane, it's probably the uh, – what pay-per-view would that be? Wrestle War? Um, I should really research before we hit <laughs> – You're fine. You're fine. What, which, which one are you talking about here? I think the best midnight, the the most well regarded Midnight Express Rock and Roll Express. Oh yeah, that would be Russell War, Russell War ninety, Russell War ninety, wild Lane. thing, wild thing. Yeah, yeah. Right now, there's some Condry ones that people might like better than that one, but with Lane, that's the one I think people that's, point to. Yeah, that Russell War ninety is the one that everybody brings up. Uh, it, there's one in eighty six that I know is pretty well regarded. And that that is Condry. Um, and then I think there's well, yeah, it's two in eighty six. There's a bunch in eighty six because they wrestle each other constantly. Are you, what are you what are you looking at the cage match? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, and I mean, but Wrestle War ninety uh, is the one that I always look to as like that is the pinnacle of midnight versus rock and roll, which is you know it's got the years of of work, and I'm sure there's there's probably some random one that somebody saw in like a random house show in mid south or whatever that was awesome, or whatever. but like in terms of the one that is available and we have on TV and and it was on pay per view and everybody saw it, I mean that that's the one that everybody points to of like okay this is like the pinnacle of these teams facing each other is, is that Rust War ninety one. I want to get the dates on the world class matches against. The fantastic. Okay, I got I think- one of them. Uh, 630, 1985 is one of them. Okay, uh, that sounds about right. And then as um, far as the other one, I can I can dig. Unfortunately, it's it's looking. Uh, and there one in May. There's one in eighty four as well. September nineteen eighty four. There should be one around Christmas that was really good. Let's see um, here. I'm seeing a. Uh, I'm just on the match guide here, and unfortunately, it, it is pretty tough to it's figure out exactly. There's yeah, one, there's one on the network on the same episode of World Class TV where Shawn Michael uh, Shawn Michaels does a job as a young wrestler. It's a one man gang, and there's a, uh, a it's a really great episode of TV. I can't remember the third match. Let me see if I can. I'll, I, I'll see if I can find it for you. And I don't know when um, when that one was taped. I I think. They had a match at a parade of champions, which was also a great match. Um, but anytime you listen to Cornette, he, they didn't like their time in world class. 
they didn't they weren't making as much money there as they did in other places probably because they were coming off that great mid-south run where they were main eventers and uh i know uh oh. <laughs> what, no, remember how you said you thought it was on christmas yeah is it the one literally on christmas from christmas star yeah. wars yeah there you go. that would be it <laughs> that's yeah. it it's literally and on that, christmas yeah fantastic's defeat the midnight express christmas star it's wars. a great match do you have what else when they broke that down into TV apps? Can you see if you can Oof. figure out? Because that's on the network for sure. I've watched it a million yeah, times. Yeah, I see the dates are kind of weird here. There's a 12 7 between those it would two be guys. January, it would be like January. You know what? It's January 12th, 1980. What's the. Uh, 1985? January 12th, 1985. That's the, the date that's ringing a bell. I think that's when it aired on TV. So there's one on, 11, there's one on the 11th as well, but that's probably the. Okay, no, no. Actually, it is, I'm pretty sure it is the January 11th, 1985. Uh, titles change. Midnight Express beats the Fantastics to win the titles. What's the other matches on that show? Uh, oh God, let's see here. Because uh, we're looking for Shawn Michael, right? He was, uh, yeah, Shawn Michaels yeah. lost to the One Man Gang. That's it. Yeah, Terry Gordy, Rick Flair, Caravan, Eric, Chris Adams is all what was taped there. But um, no, yeah. that's that's one eleven nineteen eighty five. I don't know if that. 11. I've seen. I know it's on the network. I've watched it. I've seen it. I've seen yeah. that match, and I've seen that that uh, Shawn Michaels with S E A N Michaels. Uh, yes. but I don't know if that's that was the date that it was taped at least. I don't know if when it aired, but one eleven. One of those two matches, either the, the the Christmas match or the match they taped on the eleventh, aired maybe on the twenty fourth of January or something on the TV. I can't. It all gets mixed up in my head. But the point is, if you could find any of the world class matches, go back and watch them. Watch them in order. They're tremendous. Those those Midnight Express Fantastics matches. You really, when it comes to the Midnight Express, you can't go wrong with anything. No, I mean. I was watching stuff the other night and I completely forgot about this angle, but do you remember the James boys angle? Probably not. Mm, I don't think I do. This is when Magnum and dusty put on masks and they wrestled in masks and long black shirts and jeans as the James boys. One of those angles where the whole world knows you like, you're not <laughs> right. Not it's, it's not, it's them. obvious that it's those two guys. Yeah. I mean, it and is Cornette, Dusty Rhodes, so it's kind of yeah. tough to hide. You and know. Magnum with his mullet hanging out the back yeah. of the mask, and they're they're doing like Dusty's throwing the elbows. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just utterly ridiculous. <laughs> and Cornette's like, God so, damn, he can't tell. Come on. So Cornette's <laughs> yeah, like, right. he's talking shit at the podium, you know, and he's like, "We're taking on these guys named the James Boys. We're going to show everybody a lesson in wrestling." So then the James Boys comes out, and Cornette, and, and the crowd goes fucking. The studio goes crazy, and Cornette is going nuts, going, "Stop the match! Stop the match! This is a." Perpetuating the ruse. This is, a, you know, he's going crazy, and uh, they kick their ass. And then Cornette's at the podium with like Shivani, and he's like, "Everybody knows who he is." And Shivani's like, "Well, I don't know. These men are wearing masks." You know, he's like, <laughs> right, I don't know. "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You can't prove that, you know. And, and then, uh, you know, and Dusty and Magnum show up an hour later into the show, and and uh, and and Shivani's like. You know, there's a lot of people who think you've been here in the building today, and uh, and 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 Dusty's like, you know what? I don't know nothing about that. He's like, I don't know nothing about that. All I know is I'm concerned about baby doll. And then he starts talking about whatever it is he saw, and they just completely no sell it. But that's the uh, the whole James Boys angle they did. That was probably in '85 or '86, I'm gonna guess. But that was a fun TV angle. And the Midnight Express were always great in situations where they had to fly around and bump for people. I heard. Meltzer talking about how they they went around the loop with uh, with Bill Watts and Junkyard Dog, 
and did all those matches with those guys and watched just kick the shit out of them. I did watch one of those. I did watch one of those, and, it, and that's where that's where I, I gained a uh, an, a special appreciation for Bob, Bob Eaton's bumping ability because Watts could do almost nothing at that uh, at that point. Junkyard Dog's starting to really slow down by that point too. So it's pretty much like two guys that aren't going to really run or jump or <laughs> do much of anything. So it is completely up to those guys, and most of the time, Bobby Eaton to just make those guys look like a million bucks and and basically run into their punches and then fly back and all that sort of stuff. They're they're pretty fun fascinating matches they're not the most exciting matches but but there's 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 some fun stuff to watch inside of them well watts had to be old by then oh he and yeah and like i think he like tore his hamstring or something like, you can tell he doesn't move he doesn't walk like he can't walk so he he basically tags in gets through the ropes and just kind of throws punches and then it's up to bobby eaton to kind of it, it's really bobby eaton like literally wrestling a, a, a you know a, a, a statue at that point with bill watts but it didn't matter because bill watts just had to raise his hand up in the air and everybody went nuts you know it's mid-south you know <laughs> it was pretty easy uh, for bill watts yeah. to get a reaction there especially and, and jyd doesn't have to do much at that point either uh to get a reaction so to kind of make the match not a complete disaster it's just bobby Eaton bumping his ass off and just working like crazy in it so yeah that that that, that it was one of those matches where i really gained an appreciation for just how good he was at bumping yeah, yeah. I mean, Bobby Eaton was great at everything. I mean, he was just a great pro wrestler. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye if you told me you thought he was one of the twenty best wrestlers of all time. I mean, uh, I may not necessarily, if I had to go through it, rate him that high, but I wouldn't knock anybody who did. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. So they had the match because I'm obsessed with this topic now. They had the match on Christmas in '84. Then they had another match. On January 11th, and that's where the Midnights won the titles back. Um, I know I've seen both. I don't know which one is the one that airs. Um, it's probably the one from the 11th. That would make sense because that has that's the same show, like you said, with One Man Gang and Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair, Terry Gordy, which I think are the other two matches that aired on that episode of television, which which to me is is just one of the great one hours of wrestling television. Um, you know, of the era, maybe ever. We talk about one-hour shows, but you know that those were two great matches in the span of a month. And um, I highly recommend seeking those out. Not hard to find at all. Then they had another match. I mean, they had another match in Houston, um, but I think that was a Mid-South match. You know, where where Bosch was booking was uh, promoting matches for in Houston for mid south So, you know, they've had a, they had a bunch of great matches with Fantastics in the state of Texas. Um, that one, I don't remember the date. I'm, see, I'm bad with dates. There's some people, like you, you mentioned before, Chad Campbell. That guy can rattle off dates of matches like it's his fucking job. I, and there's other people who are very good at that. I have never been good at remembering dates. So I sound like a fucking complete idiot when I'm trying to remember when certain matches took place. Like I know that I could see the match in my head and I know what matches I've seen and I know approximately when they took place, but I think it's, it's, it's crazy admirable to me when I hear people like Chad Campbell or Chris Zellner or Bix or people like that. And they have instant recall of like the date, the name of the show. <laughs> right, right. I can give you like a rough, I, I think I'm good at like the rough year. Or whatever, but I can't tell you. May nineteenth, nineteen ninety six. You know what I mean? Like off the top yeah. of my head. Yeah, that was Slambury nineteen ninety six. From you know, it's like no, what the hell? Like, how can you do that? It's it's an art. It's an art form for sure. Do you know who else is great at that? Pull back the curtain a little. Cody. You ever you ever like we'll tweet something and he'll hop in the DMs and have the date 
Like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, March 5th, 1984. <laughs> right, uh, yeah. And we're not talking about, like, major event. He's like, yeah, no, I show, like, you know, this this house, this, you know, TV taping match from, uh, you know, January 5th, 1984 yeah. to my students. And we're like, what? Like, how do you know that? Like, and that might be why he can remember, because he's probably got the tapes and the dates on it. You know, and it's a little easier for him. But, um, yeah, but, like, Chad, like, he just he just knows the fucking dates. Like, he'll go on Twitter and be like, what were your favorite matches from March of 1990? And I'm like, how the fuck do you have answers for <laughs> yeah, that? I don't like, know. You, <laughs> give me two, give me two hours. Your... Give me two hours, and I'll look it up and decide. Yeah, yeah I got to look it up. And you know, but, they, but then there'll be other there'll be people like right in the thread, and then they'll have a discussion on it. I'm like, I like if I can have a fuck like people say like, what superpower would you like? Oh, I'd like to fly. Fuck that. I want to have instant recall on wrestling match dates the way that these psychopaths do. It's great. I, I am so, I admire that so much because I, my brain just does not work that way. And then it kills us in segments like this where I'm like, I, I want to tell people about these great. <laughs> I try my and- best, I, but I am also just like yelling dates out too. It's probably terrible audio for people, but, uh, People seem to enjoy yeah. it, so that's fine. Yeah, and then I just stutter like an idiot because I can't remember, you know, anything other than the year, you know. So, so yeah, I don't even remember what we were talking about. I guess the Midnight's and the Fantastics, but um, you really can't go wrong with any Midnight Express matches from any era with either Condry or Lane. I mean, you're going to accidentally stumble into stuff. And here's the thing, like. If you're like a 23-year-old kid listening to this, and you're like, yeah, I never really like territory stuff. I think the Midnight Express like cuts across all eras. Yes, I mean, you. Could, I agree. I agree. Those aren't the kind of matches where you know that are going to look dated or or aren't going to you. You're not going to be able to appreciate them. I mean, there's no way that any wrestling fan of any level of uh, you know experience watching wrestling, you know, you could have become a fan because of Kenny Omega five years ago and you will, and, and there's no way you can watch a midnight, that midnight express Southern boys match from that. We just talked about and not be blown away by how great it is. I mean, so it's just, and, and it's in and of that, any era too. Like you mentioned, like I, I earlier yeah. today, I was watching, I think a 1986 uh, uh, midnights versus rock and roll match. And it's fucking awesome. It's just boom, 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 action, action, action. It's, it's not, if you're thinking, Oh, 1986, ah oh, man, like you're probably thinking WWF 1986. These guys aren't sitting in rest holds for, you know, 10 minutes while the crowd, you know, slowly gets up or whatever. It, it, the bell rings. It's 10 minutes long. Everyone's jumping up and down the entire time. It's boom, 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 tag, 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 sell, 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 drop, kick, drop, kick, you know, head scissors, drop, kick drop kick tag you know finish the crowd goes fucking insane it's just yeah like there's no way you're not gonna enjoy it with with most of the time flawless psychology yeah oh absolutely like telling a different story every time and you know and and that's where Cornette gets real hypocritical because you know he he the Midnight Express. It'd be so like, good real- if that guy wasn't a loon. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine the audio that guy could do this week if he wasn't such a fucking? Oh, he's, he's he's still going to do great audio. Like I am a million percent going to listen to him talk about Bobby. I just wish he wasn't such a lunatic because he could do audio on a lot of places. But he, you know, I guess well. he just he just goes off. The, you can't listen to him talk about modern wrestling. That's all. You know, when he talks about the old shit, he's phenomenal. Um, but where he's hypocritical is in real time. The Midnight Express were criticized. By the Jim Cornettes of the day, like the the old timers of his day, 
for doing too much and working too fast and doing too many high spots. Because they did, and and it ruled. I could absolutely see Bill Watts telling those guys, hey, guys, slow it down a little bit. Who fucking cares? Fuck you, Bill Watts. It was awesome. And and now he's become all of the people who criticized him. Yep. And it just the cycle always repeats, you know. And and you, we'll, you gotta, we'll be there eventually, I'm sure. So I guess the meme, I guess meme wrestling got us for for a bit. But we were right in the end on that. So well, we were right about meme wrestling. Yeah. It fucking sucks, and now nobody cares about it again. But you know, I'm gonna try my hardest for that to never happen to me. I mean, you know, but I, I guess eventually it happens to everyone. But it's just funny because a lot of the, his critiques are the same critiques the Midnight Express were getting. And it was the same kind of people who love the Midnight Express then, or which are the same kind of fans that love all the stuff he criticizes yeah, now, the right. newsletter readers and the heart. I mean, they were newsletter reader favorites. They were the favorites of the Smarks. Why? Because they were advancing the medium and they were doing things that nobody else did. And they would cram so many high spots into their matches and their matches were exciting from bell to bell and they weren't working like everybody else. And, and meanwhile, you know, they were considered too flashy and, and spot monkeys and everything else by, by old curmudgeons. And, and it's just how it's just funny to me how Jim Cornette cannot see that. I mean, he was that and make no mistake. He was every much a part of that act. I mean, this isn't a situation where it's fucking some shitty manager like Paul Jones or Mr. Fuji where <laughs> How dare you? Yes. Where you're, the you're Paul Jones. Be- I'm sorry. You're we're gonna have to do a deep dive uh where, where where I I try to I try to turn you onto Paul Jones. I don't know if it's gonna work, but that's number one, Paul Jones, sir. And you always throw him when you say shitty managers, he's the first one you always bring up. It's never Mr. Because Fuji. It's never, you know, it's, I mean, well, no. Fuji stunk too, but like, what did Paul, <laughs> but what did Paul Jones add to any act? Uh, he was number one and he was Paul Jones. No, you're right. He wasn't that good, but he added nothing. To <laughs> it's any always act the first one at. you bring up. I don't hate him as much as you do. You have like a visceral hatred. We got to, we got to get into that. Just, we got to get okay, into listen. the deep, deep in. There's something there. We got to get it out. I don't hate Paul Jones. He just was useless. Like what did he add to the show? Right. He had a good head of hair and that's about the, the extent of it. So. Like, what did he add to the fucking show? Like, like Pez Watley can't cut his own promos, right? Like, what did he add? Like, I get, like, I, I don't, like, he just wasn't a great man. Like, Mr. Fuji at least would throw salt in people's face and, you know, I mean. I think get his Mr. champion Fuji, in unnecessary matches, but yeah. I mean, I kind of get Mr. Fuji more than I even get Paul Jones, but the point is pick any fucking fucking Vicky Guerrero today or just pick any manager who adds nothing like Cornette was a vital part of that act and a, and a very important part of that act and every bit uh, a part of that act is the wrestlers that were involved in it and and you know his promos were just he might be the he might be the best promo guy ever Jim Cornette I mean he's right there with anybody oh I, I, I put him up I mean his stuff is incredible and it was it, and it, it was incredible for for decades too I mean, it's he, still incredible. It's still great. Yeah. I mean, honestly, he's all he's doing is cutting promos. I mean, he's still a character. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like it infuriates you. And unfortunately, it doesn't, you know, I guess it makes money for him, but it doesn't really build up any. But no, it, like, what he's doing now is, is and still that's, working the marks. Yeah, right? He's still he's, working. Yeah, He's always working. It's a character, man. It's not, you know, I don't. The problem is, I think he's kind of worked himself into a shoot where now I think he might believe some of the stuff that he says or he doesn't know kind of when to turn on and turn off. But but I mean, yeah, that it's not different than the original character. I mean, it, it, it's. 
still just kind of that. I mean, he's basically what he was in, you know, 1997 WWF when he was doing those those weird raw things where he just, you know, for they give him like a minute and he would say 7,000 words in a minute about how much he hated Shawn Michaels and how Bret Hart was a baby and Hulk Hogan was old and stupid and like, you know, it was it's the same stuff. Like it's just that, but unfortunately it's it's with the volume turned up to 10 and 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 split up and and consumed by Twitter people and 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 weird uh, odd stands as well that uh that retweet it and, and tweet him and stuff so yeah i don't know like but he's still a great promo I, mean, I i would put him man would i say all time i think i honestly think i it's gonna get people up i i think he's my favorite promo guy of all time going back and watching some of that stuff it's incredible yeah he just I, he yeah. packs in so much in such a little amount of time yeah it's just it, it, it it's yeah and while getting everything over and yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could tell that he had he had his notes in mind of okay, here's here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna build up this event, but like building up to the event. You know what I mean? A lot of Ric Flair promos, and I, I obviously love Ric Flair promos, but a lot of them are just kind of Ric Flair being Ric Flair. You know what I mean? Just saying yeah. stuff, being awesome, being cool, or whatever. Jim Cornette is always like, "Well, this Sunday, you know, this, this, this. Like, I'm gonna show you." And like, he's always plugging the show, always plugging the match, always saying everyone's name, so you know who's in what match and who. I mean, it's just yeah, it's incredible, incredible stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, I saw, who was it? It was Fuego Del Sol. And who's the guy who was doing dark jobs for AEW and got caught making the prank calls or whatever, and they kicked him out and they never brought him back. He's, he's one of Sammy Guevara's buddies. What the fuck is that oh, guy's name? Oh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a dark guy the, as much as you are, so. He does a lot of edgy stuff on Twitter and a lot of people hate him. I can't think of his fucking name, but the point here is, Uh, Oh, Joe Alonzo, Joe Alonzo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I watched Joe Alonzo and Fuego del Sol cut promos on each other on YouTube for a match they had coming up for some indie somewhere. Oh, is that the one where they never said where it was? Yeah. And and the promos or when it was the promos, like the promos were good. The intensity and all that, and they were believable, and they never said where the match was, when the mat- match was, what promotion it was for. And I think I quote tweeted one of them or something, and I was like, "These are great promos, but how do I pay to watch this? Like, you you didn't tell me when or where you're wrestling. That's like the number one rule. Like, what's the point of a promo to get you to spend money on what you're trying to sell me?" And they completely blew that off. They were so focused on being creative and taking shots at each other that they forgot to tell us when and where they were going to wrestle. You know, and I was just thinking about that when you were talking about Jim Cornette always working that in. Right. And he did a great job. Shooting of, with yeah. He, when he, they're going to. Yeah, and he'd set the stage for, you know, the last time you and I faced each other, you beat us, but that's a, that's not going to happen this time because we're smarter, we're better, we're, you know what I mean? Like, it just, like, right. he would tell you what the story was, build it up, and say, well, this Sunday at uh, WrestleWar 9090, we're going to prove to you that the Midnight Express, and it's just like, oh my gosh, it's, it's amazing, and it's it's a mile a minute, like, it's hard to follow sometimes, but that was, you got it, like, you, you understood that that was the cornet and that was his style or whatever, and, and once you kind of got it, and hey, we're, we, we talk very fast as well, so, you know, it, it, after our own heart there, but no, yeah, he's, he's to me, the all-time promo guy of just getting you in the building, I mean, there's some promos that you watch like there was some that he there was one i was watching not that long ago um probably involving the midnight express it was it was in 1993 when they were doing the weird kind of smoky mountain in wcw thing remember when he was playing both ends of the he was getting wcw to use smoky mountain guys and then flipped to having wwf use smoky mountain guys like 
a week yeah. later or whatever. There's it's like the la- the second to last one I think where before uh, you know he's gonna flip over to WWF or whatever, and he's just ranting and raving at WCW and you know Bill Watts, you idiot, you don't know anything. And it's just like oh, it's so good stuff. It's just incredible. Yeah, it made, it made me want to go to the building and buy tickets. I'm like, where is this happening? I need to that's see the this. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah I want to buy tickets. What is it? Oh, it happened 27 years ago. Okay, well I guess I'm not going. But damn, <laughs> like yeah, and then um, you know Eaton ended up in Smoky Mountain, of course. So, you know, and he would, he would did, uh, six mans with, um, you know, they got involved with the heavenly bodies and the heavenly bodies were really just the next incarnation of the midnight express for Jim Cornette. You know, it was, um, obviously Stan Lane was part, it was Stan Lane and, and, um, and Tom Pritchard. And then when Stan Lane retired, it was uh, Jimmy Del Rey, which, again, Cornette had another great tag team, which had two different versions that were equally as great as the other, yet different, you know. So he did it again. But, um, but you know, Eaton dropped in to Smoky Mountain and, um, and did some stuff there uh, late in career. He even popped up in ECW at one point, which actually were coming up on pretty soon on November to remember when Bobby Eaton – uh, shows up in ECW for that When Worlds Collide show, not the AAA Wins Worlds Collide, but the ECW When Worlds Collide with uh, Bobby Eaton and Sabu against Arn Anderson and Terry Funk. So, you know, Eaton even found his way into into places like Smoky Mountain and ECW. Uh, one place he never found his his way into was WWF. One of the rare guys of his era who just you know, not even a one off. Yeah, never I was kind of surprised by that because I was thinking, know? oh, man, he never worked it's- in WWF. And I'm like, I'm sure he had to do like something like in, you know, somewhere in his early days or or somewhere late. He had a one off or a, and nothing. Zero. Never. Well, he definitely didn't have a look that Vince McMahon was going to be. No, a southern wrestler. Yeah. You know, a little, he, little pudgy. Yeah. And I, I mean, he could fly, but uh, he never looked like a man that ever did. I mean, not much cardio. On his yeah, diet, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he cut a promo after 1983. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Either, I mean, yeah. until he got, um, I he did cut some promos real late, like in in some of the Memphis reboots in the 90s when he, uh, in the early 2000s, I guess, and late 90s when he would pop up in some of those Memphis reboots. Um, you know, he, he cut some promos, but for like 20 years there, the guy didn't even cut. Why would you ever cut a promo? If you're like an average or substandard promo and Jim Cornette is your manager, I mean, that's the whole point of having the manager. I mean, there's no reason for you to talk. Um, so, yeah, he never in, and he really wouldn't didn't seem like he'd really work as a WWF guy in that era. I mean, because he didn't have a great look and he couldn't talk and or, or didn't like to talk. Um but yeah, I don't think he ever this took is, a dime. Okay, so this is really weird, and I have no recollection of this, and I'm not sure if it's true. So this is a uh, – it's archived from IGN.com. I don't know why IGN would have been writing about this, but I think it was in the 2000s. Everybody was writing about this. January 25th, 2001, former WWE superstar Bobby Eaton has signed with the WWF. So from the official WWF website, the World Wrestling Federation is pleased to announce that Bobby Eaton has signed with the company. Oh, he he'll be working Ohio with the Federation's Valley developmental when, talent, yeah. talent in Memphis. It so. was, that was Ohio Valley when Cornette was there. Wasn't right, it? right, right. So, yeah, I don't yeah, and I but I don't think he ever got in the did he ever get in the ring at that time? Because I know he, he would jump in and, and do some stuff, obviously, for years and years and years. He would still wrestle. I think he was still wrestling until 
uh, a couple years ago. Did he ever get in the ring in Ohio Valley ever? I, I don't know. I'm gonna actually look I mean, that I up don't right now. That, but yeah, I don't. I have no idea. I wasn't watching. You know my. Ohio Valley tapes at that time. Uh, let's see here. Okay, he had three matches in Ohio Valley. So, so I guess technically he took some, but who knows? Like he was under WWF contract though. Uh, apparently, like yeah, 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 yeah. I think it was, they they said he was going to be sent to the Ohio Valley. So I, I don't know if yeah I don't know if it was like a talent contract or just kind of strictly a developmental contract. But uh, I'm sure it was some kind of trainer. Look or something at look at there. this match here, July twenty eighth two thousand one prototype and Rico or Costantino, who obviously become Rico. Prototype John Cena defeat Bobby Eaton and Randy Orton. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. If you're a developmental territory and you could have Bobby, Bobby Eaton, of course, yeah, working with these guys, I mean, it's a no brainer. You don't even think twice about it. And that's the heart of the Cornette era when you're talking about two, what'd you say, 2001? 2001, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's so, when they I kicked mean, them, they kicked them out and said, all right, you're too annoying. <laughs> Go away. Go to Ohio Valley. Then he did great because they churned out a bunch of great talent. They told Paul Heyman to do the same thing too. Hey, Paul, you're annoying everybody. Go to Ohio Valley. And then all they did was produce a bunch of superstars. And then they said, okay, never mind. Actually, you guys suck. Move on to something else. So, which actually get us into our next topic when we get into it is, is, is the transformation of WWE developmental. But we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, yeah. So I I completely forgot about Eaton. Um, short-lived stint as the trainer or whatever you want to call it with Ohio Valley. But I don't think that lasted very long. Yeah, it doesn't look very. I'm trying to find the exact dates of of, of how long that lasted, and I'm I'm having trouble finding it. So, um. yeah, but uh, a great career, a great wrestler, an all time great without question. Um, and I really think someone who would transcend eras and anyone who hasn't seen. I can't imagine many people listening haven't seen a, a bunch of Bobby. I mean, how could you avoid it? How yeah, you you'd have to actively, long? you'd have to actively just not watch wrestling before. Well, how you know? can you go? How can you be a wrestling fan who somehow finds us and that you haven't watched Midnight Express? I, I'm always, I'm very surprised by that. We we do have a lot of people that I'm always like, how do you listen to us? Like, what, like what does the show sound like if you have never, like, if you're a person who has never once seen the Midnight Express, what does this show sound like on a weekly basis to you? How much of it goes over your head? Right, we're talking I about mean, Coco Ware and Dennis Condry, and you're like, who are, the fuck are these guys talking about? I mean, every, unfortunately, because so many wrestlers have passed away this year, every opening segment of our show has to be just complete madness for you, because you have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. But I guess it's good that, uh, hopefully we're educating people, but God damn it, go watch the Midnight Express matches. What are you doing? Go watch all of them. Yes, go watch find. that that Chad Campbell. I'll watch all 62 matches that he recommends. That's what you have to do. That's your homework. For this weekend. Holy shit. Before we move on to the assassin, did you watch? I retweeted a match last night. Bobby Eaton versus Abdullah the Butcher. No, I wanted to get to that one and I I, I forgot it completely. And then right before the show started, I was going to watch it. And I didn't get a chance. Yeah. Tell me about this because you were blown away by this. It's only four and a half minutes long. That's about as long as I need to see. That's about as long as I need to see Abby wrestling. So that's fine. It's It's so great. Like it's just this TV match. I forget. It's either from main event or Saturday night, one or the other. Um, and it's just so random. Like, why would Bobby Eaton wrestle Abdul <laughs> Abby, the Butcher? Yeah, yeah. But it's so fucking great. And it just it just shows you how great and versatile he is because he wrestles Abby's match. Because how can you not? You know, he's not, Abby's not wrestling your match. Your <laughs> no, no. Saturday night. It's from Saturday night, by the way. Yeah. And um, I don't want to give... Just, I don't want to give anything away. Just it's, it's incredible for a sub. It's one of those, 
it's now on my list of sub five minute matches that are must watches. I mean, that's now on it. I'd never seen this match. I didn't know it existed. I woke up to take a piss last night, and of course, you bring the phone, right? Of course, bring the yeah, phone. yeah, yeah. Can't possibly do one thing ever without your phone, you know? Without your phone, yeah, yeah. So, I that's how I find out Bobby Eaton died. I think it, the news must have broke in the middle of the night or whatever. So then I stay up a little while, and I'm just going through, you know, scrolling through Twitter, and the match pops up, and I'm like, ah, it's a five minute match. I'll watch this, and then I'll go back to bed, and then. Oh my god, it was so fucking good. I'm like, I didn't even know this match existed. I'm so glad I was awake when I came across the Twitter feed. I may have never discovered this match. And then it fired me up and I stayed up a little longer and watched a bunch of fucking Bobby Eaton stuff before I fell back to sleep. So um I'm glad I remembered that because I wanted to bring it up and of course I didn't write it down, but um that's another one that people and that's you know gotta be ninety one or ninety two, that era that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. After, you know, uh, Stan Lane had left and the tag team wasn't a thing anymore. Um, that's probably right around that time. Because, you know, Cactus Jack does a run-in. So it's got to be like 91, right? It's probably 91. But, um, yeah, oh my God. What a great sub-five-minute match. Yeah, there's so much that I discovered from that, from that era. And, and, and I always, I mean, that's one of the eras that I always... If I if there's nothing going on or I'm bored or I just want to put on like something in the background, it's usually like 1990 to like 1992 WCW pay per views because they're just insane. They just make no sense. There's just a random, just the the undercard's just weird, and there's a lot of really good stuff there. And that's where I really gain an appreciation for him as as a as a singles wrestler. And 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 for me personally, I probably prefer him as a singles wrestler, which seems insane because he's obviously an all time great tag wrestler. But I I always value singles wrestling a little bit more. Like I said, I grew up in an era where that was just more important. So there's tag team wrestling I. I like but there's people that like they love tag team wrestling i'd put you in that category I, I think as somebody who who grew up in that era of wwf when it was like so important and you can rattle off you know wwf tag teams or whatever but, like if you were born in the you know or if you started watching wrestling in you know 1985 or whatever i'm sure yeah tag teams were super super important by the time when i was watching they were kind of not important you know what i mean like you were in a tag team because you had nothing else to do so i've always valued singles wrestlers a little bit more whether right or wrong and that era bobby i mean just for whatever it just it works for me so much and i just think he's just so good in those. And it, like I said, what you can also tell too is that the guys like to work with them because he is working with every, every one of the top wrestlers in the company is giving Bobby Eaton like these great matches. You know, they're going 15, 20 minutes or whatever. Arn Anderson, you know, Ric Flair, as you said, sometimes it's Abdul the Butcher too, but it's still, it, it works in every single case and every single possibility or, or, or different like permeation as well. So yeah, that, that don't skip on that area as well. And I, I think Chad does have plenty of those. Uh, in his 62 one matches, uh, 62 matches again. So big boys play WCW uh, is, is the uh, Twitter account, but we'll we'll link it in the show notes as well because you absolutely, absolutely. If you if you need to know, if we always do the hey, we you know what do I have to watch? Well, unfortunately with this, you have to watch everything. You have to watch every match this guy ever wrestled. Uh, but uh, you can start with these 62 matches and then go from there. How about that? Is that some okay homework? 62. <laughs> That's not bad, right? You know, a couple weeks. We'll yeah, you can get, I mean, they're not, I mean, there's no 60 minute Iron Man matches in there. These aren't, yeah, listen, these yeah. aren't New Japan main events. Right. You can I get mean, these pretty I mean, quickly. 10, 10, 15, 20 minutes tops. Yeah, I mean, you could, you could do these pretty quickly. Yeah. So watch all 62 and then watch more after that. So, so speaking of tag teams. Yeah, let's get into the next uh, un- unfortunate uh, death that we had this week. Uh, Jody Hamilton, the assassin Jody Hamilton, 
Uh, he passed away earlier this week. His son, Nick Patrick, who most people listening hopefully will remember as uh, WCW referee, uh, largely incompetent at times, WCW referee uh, Nick Patrick. He was on, he was on WWF forever as well, and SmackDown and all that sort of stuff. He, he wrote here, uh, it is with a heavy heart that I make this post. Uh, at 2.16 today, my father took his last breath on this earth. He passed comfortably, surrounded by the people that love him. Now our attention has to shift over to taking care of my mom. I want to thank everybody that sent out prayers and support for my family. I'll put more information about, uh, about it up uh, right now. I'm kind of numb. So that is uh, the assassin Jody Hamilton also passes away. Uh, there's some really good stuff out there uh, about him. And I was doing a lot of reading uh, about the assassin Jody Hamilton. And, and and if you recall, we did talk about him not that long ago when uh, when Bullet Bob Armstrong passed away. We talked a little bit about the flame Jody Hamilton a, a bit. If you want to go back to that episode, uh, we talked about Bullet Bob. But uh, this this fact that I had no idea about and it was actually pretty cool uh, to read about is that he at, at a time was the youngest wrestler ever to headline Madison Square Garden. He did it at 19 years old. Can you imagine a company pushing a 19-year-old as like a top, top guy and it working and it being fine? But the assassins they faced out, Antonio Rocca and Miguel Perez, uh, May 24th, 1958, 20,355 people at Madison Square Garden. Uh, eventually in 1984, your boy, the Tonga Kid, uh, beat that record. He was slightly younger. Also 19 years old, but slightly younger. Uh, but uh, pretty cool fun fact. But what, what do you know about uh, the assassin Jody so- Hamilton? So the assassins came in and wrestled Antonino Rocca and Miguel Perez and Antony for people who Oh, I call him Antonio. Antonio. Sorry, Antonino. Yeah, sorry. Antonino Rocca and Miguel Perez. Uh, Antonino Rocca was the biggest star in the McMahon territory at that time. And that tag team main evented were the headliners of MSG uh, for a long time. So you'd bring in different teams to face those guys. And uh, really, you know, we were just talking about tag team wrestling. Uh, when we were talking about Bobby Eaton, but that's a Hall of Fame tag team, you know, and they drew money um, in MSG and then all those MSG sellouts. And really, it went from Antonino Rocca uh, to Bruno San Martino to Bob Backlund to Hulk Hogan. I mean, if you're talking about the lineage of big draws in MSG, and this is why, you know, when I was talking a couple weeks ago and all of these, you know, these ignorant people on Twitter who weren't understanding the point I was making about AEW outdrawing. WWE in WWE's home base in WWE's home building MSG. They just don't know the history and why that's seen, why that's a black eye. It's embarrassing for AEW to have existed for 10 minutes and just come into New York and, you know, WWE, you know, selling six, struggling to sell 6,000 tickets and AEW selling out a 18,000 seat venue across town. It It's humiliating. When, but, Yeah, and I'm just and I'm just looking at it, it. It's just I'm looking at it from a perspective of it's a bad look, man. It's embarrassing. And yeah, I don't. It's like you listen. You're yeah. you're 19 years old and you don't know shit. Yeah, they use Barclays now. They, 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 they don't care about Madison Square Garden. If you don't think that Vince McMahon cares about Madison Square Garden, you're a fucking lunatic. I'm not trying to gatekeep or fucking, but it's like, you don't know shit. You don't understand the point I'm making. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, the gate will be bigger because the tickets are high. No, you don't understand the <laughs> right. point I'm making. This company went right. into their house, sold that bitch out, and and and, and that's, yeah. Not this only- is the house that Antonino Rocca built. It's the house that Hulk Hogan built. <laughs> <laughs> and they got embarrassed. That was my point. Did you? Uh, did I ever tell you the story when I was uh, I was at the? Uh, you were you, sir, were in the in the uh, the fancy pants seats for uh, the uh, the G one show at Madison Square Garden, the New Japan Ring of Honor show, right? You you were like 
ringside, right? I was ringside. Yeah, it's a nice little shot. Yeah, so I was with the people, Joe. And I was also with the ushers. And uh, I was waiting. I, it was during the shitty, horrible ladder match that never had between Dave and uh, Lethal and, and uh, he who shall not be named, whoop, whoop, man. But uh, uh, I remember I was there and I was talking. So these two ushers were like, you know, yammering. You know, they were just kind of talking to one another. And one of the guys, I started talking to him, and he goes, "Oh, you, you, you know, you, you've been watching wrestling for a while, or whatever." And he's like, as, "He's very New York. I can't do the New York accent, but he is aggressively New York. He's a, he's an usher at Madison Square Garden. All right, so yeah, take you, it what from do you there. Think <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly what you would imagine an usher at Madison Square Garden looks like and talks like. That's that guy. So, so he he's like, "Hey, you, you know, what's this? You know, this New Japan Ring of Honor stuff. What is this kind of stuff or whatever?" And I, we start talking about it, and he goes into he goes, "I I cannot believe that Vince McMahon would not come." here and he'd run that goddamn Barclays Center out in fucking Brooklyn and yeah. he was ranting and raving. He's like, my grandfather went to Madison Square Garden. My, dad, my grandfather's father went to Madison. He's just ranting about how, like, how dare he? This is the home. This is where wrestling's supposed to be. Not out there. Not in shitty Brooklyn or whatever. And I'm like, alright, man. Hey, yeah. And he's like, good for these guys. He's like, I'm gonna start watching these guys. They come here. They know where the home of wrestling is. And I'm like, yeah, man, let's go. And he kept asking me questions about who everybody was or whatnot. But, but he was like, actually hurt he was like i can't he's like i can't even tell my dad that he doesn't even run madison square garden anymore my dad says does vince still go did, you know does WF still go to madison Square Garden?" and i say yeah because i can't i don't have the heart to tell him that he doesn't anymore i mean that it's like embedded in those in those people generations saw yeah, wwf wrestling at madison square garden they, and that's who they've run off right you know <laughs> yeah, right so it's it's embarrassing enough that they don't sell out that building every time they go to the building i don't care about ticket prices it's new york city I don't care about COVID restrictions. I don't give a fuck. They're they're all none of it means anything to me. It's embarrassing that they they can no longer sell out that building. Oh, they hardly run there anymore. Even more reason they should sell <laughs> right, it out. They should sell it out in ten seconds. Yeah. I, I don't want to hear it. And it's people just. And what you realize is you're arguing with people who just don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And more importantly, they don't know what you're talking about. It's people talking past each other, and that's really what it is. And um, you know, but it's 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 the fucking house that Bruno built, and you're drawing, you're struggling to sell six thousand tickets, and orange <laughs> house of and Bruno. orange and orange Cassidy is kicking your ass across the street. It's humiliating, you know. It it, it shouldn't happen. It cannot happen, you know. And it happened, and. Um, you know, and then they had to make it a super show, and then they had to put John Cena on. And at the end of the day, they'll probably have 11, 12, 13,000 people. But it's it's humiliating how poorly it did. Uh, you know, they, they should just – the only thing they should need on that marquee is WWE. That's all it should take in that building. And that's why that situation to me is humiliating. And I know Vince McMahon is humiliated by it. Uh, but – the point here is, is here you go. This is the roots of it. Antonino Rocca and Miguel Perez against the Assassins, 1958, March 24th, 20,000 people. And, uh, you know, like you said, Jody Hamilton was 19 years old. I didn't even know he was still alive. He was 82 years old. Yeah, and, that uh, unfortunately, I hate to say that, I, but when someone said Jody Hamilton passed away, I went, oh, <laughs> I honestly thought he died like decades ago, but okay, cool. Yeah, I had no idea he was still alive. Good for him. And then. Right. Uh, you mentioned Tonga Kid breaking that record in 1984. That was uh, Vince McMahon's first attempt to replace Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Uh, after he had got left the company, you know, he had the legal problems. He fucking murdered Nancy Argentino, had the legal problems. Uh, allegedly. You know, <laughs> Not allegedly. <laughs> he's in and out of the company around that time. And, they, and Vince's idea, and, and this has been consistent throughout his whole run, is I can just make another version of this person 
who is a big star. And we've seen it <laughs> years later, whether it's Diesel or Razor Ramon or, or you know. Lex Luger. Lex Luger, a million examples. And, you know, Tonga Kid was like, oh, well, you know, this guy is is from the islands and this <laughs> right, guy yeah. jumps off the top rope. And, you know, and we can replace Jimmy Snooker with the Tonga Kid. It was a very talented wrestler. You know, I, I am a huge fan of the Tonga Kid slash Tama slash, you know, the father of fucking Jacob Fatu. Um, but obviously it didn't work. And then he tried it again a few years later with CV Afi and it didn't work. And it's just, uh, it, it, you know, and, and, and again, we named some of the other examples in later years where, where Vince just tried to, to replicate and, and, and show that it was all about, uh, you know, the way he presented wrestling, it's, you know, it, it's, you can't do it that way, but that was the, that was the Tonka kid thing. And that was the deal there. They tried to push him as an, you know, an extremely young wrestler to replace Jimmy Snuka. But, um, yeah, 19 years old in 1958. And, um, you know, and then, of course, um, in all the southern territories where he worked, you mentioned later in his career, um, you know, as the flame. What I wanted to ask you was, before we get into the developmental stuff, and the assassins, of course, I mean, you know, uh, Jody Hamilton, first ballot. I mean, he wasn't first ballot, but easy Hall of Famer. I mean, there's no doubt about that if you don't know much about him. But I wanted to ask you. How much of his promos have you seen? Because he worked a lot of places that I don't think are in your wheelhouse. Yeah, they're, they're places so, that I want to like a little bit more, but I, I, I can't say that I've saw a ton of his promos. I saw the stuff as The Flame uh, when we did the yeah. Bullet Bob Armstrong uh, episode a few uh, months ago. Uh, so I saw that stuff, and I've seen a little bit of kind of the assassins just talking backstage with, with whoever, you know, Gordon Soley or whatever, but uh, not a ton that I could say definitively, like, I have a, a strong thought about his promos. I thought the Flame stuff was a little lame, uh, but I, it's lame, but I also think I kind of like it. It fits for the era. I don't know. He, I, I don't know that I've seen enough to give a, give a real, real uh, uh, intelligent answer about it. I wanted to tell you was his promos as the assassin, very direct matter of fact serious grounded in reality um made you believe like you know he's like he's and he always came across older than he was he's one of those guys where yeah real gravelly voice kind of yeah. felt, looked like he like chewed on rocks before he started the promo yeah yeah and the style of mask in that era like the destroyer wore a very similar mask where your whole nose is exposed and you know, it's like it, 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 those kind of masks to me always I always pictured like I, just an old grizzled, tough motherfucker under a mask like that, you know, and that's kind of what he conveyed as well. And his promos were very uh, direct and matter of fact, it's the best way I can describe them. But you, you took them seriously, like a very good promo guy who uh, in a very uh, different kind of style wasn't overly bombastic um or colorful but at the same time it's almost like when he would cut a promo it was ominous it was a little because he what yeah. he didn't scream as much as he just kind of like always had like this not necessarily disappointed but just kind of like the father that you knew probably like beat his children you know what i mean like i mean that i don't know how to do it in the right way you know what i mean but like the guy that you don't want to disappoint or you don't want to make mad because you just know that Poor he's Nick strong Patrick. i Poor know Nick you know Patrick what i mean but like he had that that feeling you know what i mean like yeah. the like the scary like everybody you know i had you know friends growing up where it was like those dads there was a few dads that were like uh you know they'd say the name and you're like oh shit that's not good like i'm gonna i'm gonna go because this isn't gonna go well like i'm not saying like you know but just that you know 
know. It, it, just that ominous, weird, like, he didn't yell, but he also, there was a certain scariness about him. There was a certain, like, his calmness was 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 scary in the same sense because yeah he wasn't bombastic like you said but but he still it was like a very gravelly very very serious very no nonsense but but you know yeah I don't know it it, it it's it's scary it definitely works it's definitely scarier than a guy wearing a silly mask and we'll talk about the fiend in a little bit I mean this that's scary Joe the assassin's Woody Hamilton that's fucking scary not some weirdo in a mask so yeah yeah because it's just not grounded in reality at all like something like the fiend. You know, it, it's it, this is this is just a guy hiding his identity who's a bad motherfucker. Um, you know, so it, it's kind of a whole different kind of energy with with a guy like this. And, you know, what he reminds me of like if you're watching like uh, you know unsolved mysteries and they have to like you know black out the person that's talking. You know, because maybe they committed a crime, but they're going to tell you about the crime they committed or whatever. That's kind of how it was. You know what I mean? Where they they are to the voices like, yeah, I killed her because she. <laughs> it's like you know they we hid his identity because he's still in jail for the murders. Like you felt like the assassin probably assassinated somebody or murdered somebody. That's why he had to wear the mask. You know. Yeah, yeah, and in those days when there were mass wrestlers, the whole idea behind the gimmick was that you know they were hiding their identity. It's yeah. almost now when a guy wears a mask, it's it is his identity. It's it's it. it I don't know if that makes any sense, but it was like back then it was like, this is a mysterious guy. He could be a very dangerous guy. It might be someone who we're familiar with, but for whatever reason, he's got to wear a mask because he, he wants to conceal who he is. It's like, well, like you said, it wasn't, it's not a flashy mask with like horns on it and stuff. It was just, it looked like a ski mask. You know what I mean? And like, you know, it wasn't too much to it. It was yellow and it, it covered some of his face, but he could still have his nose and his mouth out, but it was enough where you didn't quite know what he looked like. And that was kind of the mystery of it is, is, is what does this guy look like? And why is he wearing this mask and what's going on? Because yeah, it wasn't, it, the mask wasn't the persona. The persona was, he's the assassin Jody Hamilton. He just happened to be wearing a mask. Yeah. And I mean, he main evented in 1958 as a 19-year-old and probably main evented right through to like 1983 or 1984, I mean, at different times. So, uh, you know, a long career, a successful career, another guy best known for tag teams, without a a doubt. So, uh, and I know you wanted to get into kind of his history as a trainer and sort of how he fits into wwe history and wcw history yeah 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 and i don't know if a lot of people know about that yeah and and i only recently kind of found this out as i was doing some research about the power plant but he he's a big part of the wcw power plant started he's the he was the director of the school in its early days uh was kind of one of the guys that headed up and said hey let's do this thing let's you know have this developmental uh, thing. I mean, really, really the the precursor to the the, the performance center, the WCW power plant. You know, is it a, yeah. a, an actual building? You know, not not necessarily you know guy trains you for his territory type stuff, but but a real building with real facilities and that, it, very similar to the uh, performance center. It was a selling point. Hey, come work for WCW because we will train you at the power plant, which is not you know you can go train at at X wrestling school or whatever, which is probably in some barn and some you know in some backyard or whatever. Well, here's our swanky facility with you know nice you know ran by Turner, put some money into it, like really really top tier stuff, and like you know obviously the power plant. Probably about a little bit more successful than the PC, but you know, not necessarily a a, a resounding success or whatever. But you know, Hamilton and, I, and, and you know, from my research, it, it looks like a lot of guys. You know, Bill Goldberg will mention him. Uh, the Giant, obviously, Big Show will mention him as as some guy that was uh, pivotal. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page, uh, uh, Kevin Nash, I know, all kind of talks about. Uh, him being a big guy, but yeah, Bill Goldberg probably the number one guy. But yeah, it was him. You know, Buddy Lee Parker, Pez Watley, and and, and Mike Werner or Mike Wenner. 
who were the top guys in the power plant for years and years and years and years. And, and, you know, he would spend a little bit of time as a manager as well. And like, you know, I think it was 93, 94 uh, type stuff. But then, um, you know, he was with the power plant until the final days in, until 2001, when they get sold, he's there. And then after, you know, they get sold, he, he trains his own guys for a little bit. And then in 2005, he's brought into WWE as uh, the new, you know, Deep South Wrestling, which is actually a company that he started. He originally started Deep South Wrestling back in like the mid 80s. I, I forget the exact year, 85, 86, 87, somewhere in that range. And so they revive the name Deep South Wrestling and they put him in charge of that school and, and run shows there. And that becomes their new developmental territory is, is Deep South Wrestling. Uh, and then obviously that goes away in uh, in 2007. And then there's there's some there's a lawsuit. Do you ever, do you ever read about that lawsuit that, that him and, and WWE had? I vaguely, I know something about it, but I don't remember all. Yeah, it was just like you know, because he claims that just like one day they were just like, "Hey, Deep South, you guys can't do this anymore. You got to go away. You you know, you're you're done or whatever." And it's just a weird thing because there's also this John Laurinaitis says that you know if you work with Jody Hamilton never again, you're never going to work in this business type stuff. So he eventually he settles out of court. He he does, I I think. uh, I don't know if he. We don't know the settlement. We have no idea what happened. But uh, as far as we know, uh, it actually it it worked out pretty well, or everybody kind of. Uh, went their separate ways, but uh, yeah, he a big hand in training people. I mean, you're talking about you know 1992, the WCW Power Plant opens until 2001. So everybody coming through there, you know, anybody that was trained by WCW in that time period is is, is you know Jody Hamilton had something to do with, uh, and then a large part of, of of Deep South Wrestling too, from like 2005 to 2007, uh, 2008 as well. So I mean, a, a, you know, another second career uh, there, and then obviously his son, you know, Nick Patrick probably. I mean, arguably more famous than, than Jody Hamilton, right? At least for a certain generation of wrestling fans. Certain age of fan. Yeah, me for sure. For sure. Yeah, I definitely know Nick Patrick and, and, and Jody Hamilton to I didn't you, know until a few years ago. So To you, the assassin is Nick Patrick's dad. Correct. Right, right. Whereas for a lot of people, Nick Patrick is the assassin's son is really what you're trying to get at here. But, um, you know, he was... The assassins, you know, like a lot of mass teams had a lot of different versions, but he was always the constant. I mean, um, I don't know when uh, Tom Renesto, he's got to be dead too, right? I mean, let me find out. I mean, I would Tom have to imagine he is, but was the original partner and then um, of, of Hamilton, and then he teamed with other people throughout the years, he teamed with uh, Hercules in the mid eighties and in, in Crockett. And, um, I think, uh, Moondog Rex was an assassin. Uh, Ernesto died in 2000. He was 72 in 2000. So he, he was old. I mean, he was much, much, much older than. than oh yeah. Hamilton. Cause if he yeah. was 72, 21 years ago, right. he would have been 93. Yeah. Well, he was 11 years older. So it seems like a lot older, but right. Cause he'd be, he'd be 93. Mm, and yeah. Oh yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. So he was 11 years older. So for that, was he the partner in MSG? He had to be, right? Maybe he might, um, may not have been. I don't think he was. That might have been his he brother, was. right? Yeah. Um, I think it was Joe. It was probably Joe, right? I don't think Renesto was the MSG guy. What no, was it was that? Joe. 15? It was Joe Hamilton. Yeah, it was the brothers. It was the Hamilton brothers. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first partner. And then tom renesto and then i couldn't give you the order from there hercules was probably the last one. Oh, there might have been some stragglers after hercules <laughs> right right one-offs and things like that but um so there were other assassins but uh you know a legendary tag team no matter who the other member of the team was for you know a number of decades the 60s the 70s and well into the 80s we talked about paul jones paul jones managed the yeah assassins. right i do remember that so 
you know, it, we come full circle with uh, number, number one, one Paul, Paul Jones. Jones. Your boy. That was that era. That yeah. was that era with the fucking never ending fucking Jimmy Valiant feud. <laughs> Maybe that's Valiant why I don't Paul like Jones. Paul Jones because I can't stand Jimmy Valiant. I mean, I yeah. just cannot stand the guy. He's just, but you can totally see why he's not a Joe Lanza wrestler. I cannot stand. He's just too silly, and I just I uh, cannot stand Jimmy Valiant. But um, uh, all the bald headed geek stuff. I mean, it felt like that <laughs> on for. It was probably only a year, but it felt like it went on for a decade, you know? Um, the undercard, there was an undercard feud. Paul Jones Army, you know, the Assassins, and, uh, you know, Pez Watley, the Barbarian. Uh, Sounds awesome. <laughs> it felt like you are saying Paul Jones added nothing to those guys. <laughs> who else came through with the Paul Jones Army? Oh, jeez. So many. I mean, it was, it was constant. The uh, Yeah, Paul Jones Enterprises uh, went through a lot of, uh, had a tough time retaining talent over the years, so... Yeah, I mean, right there in that era, though. Uh, didn't he have um, Kung Fu era superstar Billy Graham for a little um, while? Uh, that I Kung don't Fu remember. Really, probably, yeah. Rick Rude and Manny Fernandez. Uh, <laughs> the Army. So, uh, but Manny Fernandez went babyface shortly after because he, um, after Rude left, they were tag team champs. I think Rude might have left in the middle of that run, actually. And. Know Fernandez eventually went face, but um, I mean, it felt like he feuded with Jimmy Valiant for fucking. I think he, I think it was literally, legitimately like three or four years. So I could see how you would you would get a little old of that. So uh, ah, Raging Bull and Rick Rude. I don't remember Raging um, Bull and Rick yeah. Rude. Yeah, hell yeah. And Manny Fernandez. Yeah, yep. that would. They were tag champs, and I think Rude left the territory in the middle of the title reign. And I don't know if they did a phantom title change or if they just fucking this <laughs> didn't tournament care. Or something, yeah, they just didn't care. He, 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 yeah, he went to WWF in the middle of that um, title reign. I'm trying to think who else he may have managed. Uh, Abdul the Butcher. Um, oh, like, Ta- remember Tejo Khan? Tejo Khan. I don't know if I remember Tejo Khan, yeah. Baron Von Raschke. See, that's like peak Paul Jones. Uh, Army Tejo Khan, Baron Von Ratchke. I'm gonna, I'm going to go. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say Tejo Khan is not actually an Asian man. Is that correct? So. Uh, Shaska Watley, like that. That's when they finally had the hair versus hair, and the, you know all the the bald headed geek stuff was that era of his. Because uh, the assassins were a couple years before that. That wasn't when everything finally culminated. It was, it was, it was those other guys. No, Tejo Khan. <laughs> Definitely not Asian. Not from Mongolia. He's, he's from St. Paul, Minnesota. Very, uh... yeah. And he, he was built, he looked the part, Couldn't but they just found um, an Asian guy. It was, it was world class. <laughs> you know, like... Well, I mean, you know, guys playing Mongolians, that goes back. I know, they had such access to every fucking decades, but, uh... <laughs> Tejo Khan, Jesus Christ, wrestling. He's one of those guys that look like a million bucks, but he just pretty much sucked. Um, you know, they're not all going to be Nikita, you know? Uh, I mean, you, you, you hope, but Nikita, they got really lucky because he was the one who looked the best and he was able to actually go a little bit. So, you know, lucky, they got lucky with Nikita Koloff. But um, uh, what were you talking about? Oh, Jody Hamilton, yeah, with his, uh, you know, kind of, Low key history in developmental for both WCW and WWE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. And yeah, and like I said, I had no idea he was still alive. But um, Jody Hamilton passes away as well. 
Burt Prentice died this week. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, I know very little about Burt Prentice. So I, I can't offer too much there. Hideki Hosaka passes away yeah. this week. Everybody's dying. They're all just dying. Yeah. Uh, we have to start our show every single week now with uh, an hour and a half of, I mean, I'm glad we did. Guys. I mean, we got to do it. For, we got to do it for Bobby Eaton. Uh, and, and, and there's certain yeah, yeah. guys we got to do it for. So, uh, but yeah, when you have Paul Orndorff and Bobby Eaton die, I mean, I'm sorry, we got to do that. <laughs> you know, I, I think people enjoy this. If you don't, well, too bad. These are legends of wrestling. We're going to talk about them. Speaking so. of Paul Orndorff, didn't he briefly manage Orndorff in Roma? He did. I he mentioned that a little him? bit. I, I mentioned that in yeah. 1993. Uh, while he was, I think, while he was still at the power plant, he did some managing a little bit. It didn't didn't last very long. It was like a very very short amount of time uh, that he was doing it. But yeah, I think he pretty wonderful. I think he he came down with them for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it didn't last long. He would he'd pop up every now and then in that era of WCW. Yeah, I, I think he maybe he got around. the itch, or, or somebody thought, yeah. hey, you know what? What are we? We can't just be having you know, can't have the assassin just training guys. Get him out there, and then it, it, yeah, it, it didn't last. He didn't really understand. fit the era, and he was old no, no, and he was kind of old and frumpy looking at that time too. He always kind of was old and frumpy looking. The mask was actually great for him because you know he just didn't. Yeah, I don't know if he had quite the look. He he the the mask helped him look like so much more of a badass than if he was just you know Jody Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, he just uh, didn't really fit the era by that point no, in time. No, no. So his little, they would always be very short lived when he would return. And I don't think a lot of fans really remembered him, you know, when he would come back because they were a national company by then. And, you know, there, there'd been some fan turnover. And, and um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think it, he, he was someone who the fans, um, you know, unless you were in a speci- very specific part of the country, even had like. Oh yeah, by 1993. I mean, yeah, that that's. I mean, he's just from a completely different era, and he's like, you know, he's much larger than he was before. And I remember, like, you know, he, he looks old as hell, and is it, it's just like it was a very very weird fit uh, yeah. w- w- with him in there. But uh, yeah, no, it, like you said, it, it's a completely different era because you would have had to have been a fan, you know, territorial wrestling in certain, like you said, certain territories. In like the early '80s, in the mid '80s, to care by 1993, WCW fans. I mean, how many of those people are really like, "Whoa, it's the assassin!" Like, yeah. It, I very... mean, even by like '84, he was wrapping. That's it up what I mean. Yeah, you got to be like a real longtime fan to really get care about the assassin. So, yeah. So there you go. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, the passing of uh, of Bob Eaton and the assassin. Uh, as far as assassin stuff, I don't know if I have anything that I can really recommend to check out. I mean, just probably look up the assassin Jody Hamilton on on YouTube and, and see what comes up, but. Um, Bobby Eaton, obviously, you have, you have plenty of homework with Bobby Eaton, so don't worry about Jody Hamilton, so, uh, or homework for that. So, all right, let's get into some other topics, let's get some modern wrestling here. Yeah, busy week in, uh, in world wrestling entertainment here, uh, as two big names released from the company. Uh, we'll start with the big one here, and this came up this weekend, and it was a, a, a surprise from a lot of people. It came out of nowhere uh, on Saturday morning here. Uh, the WWE, and this is what they posted on their website, WWE has come to terms on the release of Bray Wyatt. We wish him the best. In all of his future endeavors. So, uh, Bray Wyatt. <laughs> are you? Uh, yes, he's gone. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm with you. Hey, you know what? Preaching the choir there. <laughs> That's on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, his last match uh, was at WrestleMania 37 when Alexis Goo uh, came out of her head and caused him to lose to Randy Orton. I don't even remember why. The, why did the Goo cause him to lose? He just, like, he got distracted by it, right? Come on, nobody knows. Why are you even asking that? <laughs> I don't question? remember. Did he get distracted? I forget. It was just do like, wow. Explain- Hold no, on. I actually do, do not know. It was more of a hypothetical question than an actual literal question. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, the Alexa Goo, he lost to Randy Orton. Uh, he was away for a while. Uh, there was rumors that he was possibly coming back in August, but uh, he has now officially been released 
uh, by the company and the last member of the Wyatt family in uh, that company as well. So all the Wyatts obviously are gone. Eric Redbeard, obviously. Uh, uh, excuse the- me, sir. Randy Orton is still employed. <laughs> That's true. I, guess, I, guess. Okay. Oh, I forgot he was a yeah. Wyatt family member. Yeah, yes. <laughs> wouldn't it stand, the the that, yeah, wouldn't yeah. it stand the reason that Randy Orton is the last standing member of the, uh, Wyatt. <laughs> of the Wyatt family? Yes. The, the, yes. Yeah. Sawyer Fulton no longer there anymore. Eli Cottonwood. Eli Cottonwood no longer there anymore. No so. more. Sawyer Fulton was in the Wyatt family? Yeah, I think for a brief period of time, yeah. Is that even true? I hope so, because I tell everybody when I watch him on AEW, I, I have these friends, and they're, they're like, oh, that guy's pretty big. He looks pretty I'm like, yeah, he's not very good. He was in the Wyatt family. I think, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I don't care enough to look that up. But <laughs> I'm going to look wrong. it up just to make sure. Um Oh man, I don't know if he was. I could be wrong here. Sorry. You're spreading false information. So oh wow. You... Okay. Well. I think you're thinking of Eli Cottonwood. Maybe I'm thinking of Eli Cottonwood, yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah. I guess he wasn't. All right. Well, I'm a liar, so that's fine. Who cares? Yeah. It's a shit. Anyway, uh so that's that is it. Uh for Bray Wyatt, the uh the creative genius is, is now departed from WWE and they will have no good ideas ever again, I think, at this point. So yeah, I mean... <laughs> Pop the nurse, that's good. <laughs> that's the thing about Bray is there's two different Brays. There's the Wyatt family mm-hmm. version of Bray, which is fine. I was never even like fully on board with that. I, uh, But at least that was rooted in pro wrestling. Correct. You know? Yes, I, I like the original Wyatt family. I thought there was some, some interesting stuff yeah. with that. The, the level of like just... A, the admiration that people have for it. I mean, it's the original Wyatt family's cool guys, but like, you know, I, I like Kate fear too, but like, let's reel it in a little. It's not yeah. like, I mean, he's not, yeah. it's, it's fine. Like it's okay. But it's just like, Oh my God, there's, there's never been anything like it in wrestling before. And it's like, well, literally there was actually something like it in wrestling before. And also Many it's times. just a, a recreation of Kate fear. I mean, there was literally that character in WWF you know what I mean? with Dan Spivey. Well, the thing was, about it is if you have to, and we talked about this with Tom end, if you, if all of your promos are Easter eggs that no one understands, then they're pointless. Like what? Like if you're the only one who gets what you're doing, then it isn't good. That's when creativity jumps the shark and it goes from being something good and creative to something overindulgent and you're sniffing your own farts. So I never, you know, he would have to go on Twitter and say, well, if you take the sixth word of each promo, I said I was sending a message, and it's like, well, no one's going to do that. And if it's <laughs> right, too deep stupid. for the fans to <laughs> yeah. understand, then it's then at that point, it's entirely useless. So I almost think that someone like Bray Wyatt is thinks he's too smart for, and it's like to, to his detriment. And I think that ended up bleeding into the second version of him, which was the Funhouse version of Bray Wyatt slash the Fiend, which I have absolutely no use for and i am i i i am not exaggerating when i say this there's no hyperbole in this statement i truly believe that funhouse slash the fiend version of bray wyatt is the worst gimmick to ever come across the table in the history of professional wrestling at least among things that had any sort of staying power yeah i was gonna say when when you sort of when, when you weigh that with the fact that he was a pushed commodity at time i mean there's probably yes. you could probably point out worse gimmicks Santa Claus, you know it's mean? probably a worse gimmick you sure know I mean? but it's balls mahoney and some undercard shit and it doesn't matter and it, it, it was around for a month and then it went away who cares 
you know, the gobbledygook million, probably works. A million, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, a million Memphis gimmicks that lasted one week and were even too zany for Memphis. Right, I right. Mean, the, you can come the, up- the Ninja Turtles, the Christmas guy, like anything related to Christmas usually was pretty bad. So Unabom, Tagar, you know what I mean? Yeah, Lord, right. Tagar, the Lord of the Volcano. <laughs> now, hold on. Hold on a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Let's not, well, that, let's not say stuff we can't take back. But no, like these are all, but, but like <laughs> but pushed commodities, main eventers, champions. I mean, this is that, that when you, when you take it under that consideration, how long it lasted, how much he was pushed, how, you know, no, they're unquestionably the worst gimmick in wrestling history. No doubt about it. The ding dongs, the Christmas creatures. <laughs> There's a million of them. Bastion Booger. Like, you know. What about the one I forget? It may have been the Christmas creatures. I can't remember what it was, but one of those Jim Hurd ones where they had the t- it was a tag team of humpbacks. Yeah, the humpbacks, and they couldn't and get they, pinned. <laughs> they couldn't get pinned because they're humpbacks. Right, because their shoulders wouldn't touch the mat. <laughs> Which it's actually, it's I, like, could, I could see that in a boardroom, you know, of getting, and you're like, yeah, you yeah. know what, this worst gimmicks. Like, yeah, it's not bad, Jim. That's not bad. <laughs> but the thing about all of these awful one-off gimmicks and things that maybe lasted a week or a month or even one appearance is. I even think The Fiend is worse than all of those because none of them were universe-breaking. The Fiend with the universe-breaking bullshit and the magic and the sorcery and the ooze and the fucking ooze coming out of people's heads and the cinematic matches, it's just universe-breaking bullshit. So even if you factor in all of those bad one-offs, in my opinion, and I truly believe this, the Fiend is the worst thing to ever happen in pro wrestling from a character gimmick standpoint. I just, I truly believe that. Irredeemably awful. Um, just terrible in every way. And I don't give a fuck about your lore. I don't care. Because once you break the universe, I'm not interested anymore. It's just well, and, and we would come on the show every single week and say, well, why doesn't he just, you know, engulf this guy in flames? Why why is he right. you know, why is he coming in wrestling? Why is he selling an RKO? Like why you know, if this guy can 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 teleport and 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 summon alligators and summon fire, like why is he selling for a, a headlock? You know, it's so stupid. It just it, yeah, it lost just, all yeah. realism and, and, and connection with actual pro wrestling. So And the thing about it is there is a hardcore group of fans who loved it. Mm-hmm. And we're very disappointed when he got released. But the thing about the fiend is there's there is no in between. You either agree with what we're saying, or you were completely all in on it and you love it. And you're into the lore and you love the cinematic matches. You think the John Cena WrestleMania thing was brilliant art. There's no one who's like, ah, the fiend, I'll, I could take it or leave it. It's very divisive. Maybe the most divisive gimmick ever. But The way I look at his release, because we've talked enough over the years about how much we hate it. People know where we stand with the gimmick itself. When I look at his release, I can totally see why they found him expendable. Because they have Alexa Bliss doing the same exact act, right? He's probably making a shit ton of money because he's been a main eventer for a number of years now. And I I could see where they would see him as... A redundant expenditure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I, I had a few friends that were asking me and, 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 and saying, well, you know, why, what the hell? Why would they release Bray Wyatt? And I kind of I, I, I said it to them. I said, OK, you know, wh- how much different would it be if you just put another fat guy under that mask? And, and no offense, but 
he didn't he Alexa. Good rest, yeah, and Alexa's doing here's it. <laughs> Alexa's bray with tits. I mean, yeah. you have the horny factor with her, and all these perverts are into that facet of it. So it's like I could see where he would be expendable, and um, you know, I I understand it from that standpoint, and I don't even necessarily think it's that big of a loss. I mean. It's not, he especially never, the, the later Fiend era. He was he was barely even wrestling. You know what I mean? Like it became such, like you said, such universe breaking thing that it wasn't even a bell to bell guy. He wasn't even like getting in there and wrestling because there was no point. It, it had become so ridiculous and so you know out of this world that yeah, you can just if if you really want to go with that, if if that character, if you have this idea of the Fiend and you want to really play up the Fiend or whatever, you can put anybody under that mask. You can have weird voice effects. It, it can be anybody. He kind of worked himself out of a job, believe it or not, because they did create something that, that well, the is counter weird. Argument would be, well, the counter argument would be, oh, well, you don't have his creativity. Well, they're doing it with Alexa, and everyone seems to still think it's incredible and brilliant, the people who are into it. Everyone else hates it. But it's like, um, you know, when it, when it comes to this stuff, um, I lost my train of thought. I had a really good point. And now I can't think of what I was going to say, but um, well, I here, I'll, I'll just say this. Yeah, like, it's fine. Yeah, you'll catch it up. You'll catch it up when you, when you yeah. get there. You were also distracted by the zucchini bread uh, that the nurse was showing me. Well, but, the Reds uh, game is on too, and that keeps distracting. Okay, me. That, that's fair. That's fair. But um, uh, no, I mean, like the thing with 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 the fiend and 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 with Bray Wyatt in general is he's never a guy that belled up. Like, if, if we always talk about the justification. If, 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 if Nick Khan or whoever comes in the room and says, Vince, we want to get rid of this guy, or here's the list of guys, and, and you're Vince McMahon, you have to then make an argument for why I can't get rid of X guy or why X guy is, 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 it needs to be on the roster. And we're seeing that there are fewer and fewer guys on that list. And honestly, if you wanted to put that list together, I think it would be a very, very short list of guys that that company probably truly believes in 2021 are untouchable guys. Like I think Roman Reigns is probably untouchable right now. I would say Sacha Banks probably untouchable. You know, your top, you know, I'm not going to count your Goldberg, those sort of guys or whatever, but like roster people, it's very, I mean, that list is, is gotta be five to 10 people deep of like completely. No, these are our core guys and we can't get rid of them. And I could absolutely see if Bray Wyatt came on that list that you would look at him and go, I mean, we're paying this guy X million dollars per year. Um, you know, obviously he hadn't been working for a while for, for whatever reason it was. And there's been rumors out there, but nothing officially uh, said. So, so for people that want to jump into mentions or get mad about, you know, stuff is it, I don't think it was ever officially noted that he was out for mental health issues, but it doesn't stop people from, you know, getting mad if you discuss him because, uh, because of that, but you know, whatever it was that he was out for. And in that time period, like you said, you replaced him with Alexa, who basically does the same thing. You get the same stories going. You get all that stuff going, and 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 yeah. Do you really need a guy that that wasn't a great worker? I I mean I guess cut promos, but like you said, they weren't didn't mean anything. And and but here's the, but here's what I was gonna say before, and to add to your point you're making right now. Now we followed this because we hated him. Never popped the rating. No. Never moved television ratings. No. They would move him to brands, and the shows would continue their downward trend. Never made a difference on the road before the pandemic nope. and would and would get booed out of buildings. His matches would get booed out of buildings for how bad they were. Now, they'll come back and say, oh, well, he sold a lot of merch. Did he? Is that just something people say? Where's the proof that this guy was some incredible merch pusher? 
Do you recall seeing Bray Wyatt t-shirts all over the place? Because I sure don't. I've never seen I, one in the wild. I've never seen one in the wild officially. I so. think that's just something people say to defend him because they don't. They can't point to ratings. They can't point to him ever drawing money. So everyone always says, oh, well, he sold a lot of merch. That justified his contract. Someone show me that. I'm tired of people just leaning on that argument all the time, and they can never back it up. If someone could back it up, fine. But, you know, all last week, people were talking about all this merch that this guy pushed. Where? Who's wearing all these fiend belts that cost $3,000? I don't think I ever saw one at a show. Who's, who, where are all these Bray Wyatt t-shirts? What is this merch that this guy was allegedly pushing? He got booed out of buildings. I'm not saying he didn't have his fans. He clearly did. But, you know, I think it was a small group of people who were into that sort of thing. And everyone else was like, this is stupid. It sucks. We don't like it. I think people forget pre-pandemic, his shit was getting booed out of buildings. That, that Seth Rollins match was a disaster. It tanked Seth Rollins as a babyface. That feud, they, it's, we used to joke about it. This guy's nickname is the Eater of Worlds. He was the Eater of Babyfaces. Right. Oh, and he the list is, and that goes, that is that is pre-fiend as well. I mean, the list of Dean Ambrose, Finn Balor, <laughs> Seth Rollins a couple times, I think. Yeah, it is. The list is massive of guys that would enter into a feud with Bray Wyatt and then leave way, way worse off. I mean, it, it, it killed Dean Ambrose dead. Remember when he was holding TVs and they were exploding yes. and shit and all that garbage that we were Seth bearing Rollins. at the time and fucking killed Rich, Seth they had Rollins. To turn Rollins? They had to turn Rollins heel. Because that you killed him dead as a baby face. Killed him dead. So it's like you could see where the guy's expendable. Finn Balor, the sister Abigail shit. Argu- Remember the sister Abigail shit? Yeah. Or, yeah. Awful. Irredeemably awful. And I don't care how creative you think he is as a person because he sits in the corner of catering and says spooky things. What does it give? What, what does it produce? A guy who gets booed out of buildings and doesn't move television ratings? You know, it, it's it's overindulgent, sniffing your own farts bullshit. That's what he, that's what he is. He's a guy who badly needs a filter. Can, now, can, we, can we talk about this? Are you, are you going to touch on the, the weird change of the narrative that's all of a sudden started with Bray Wyatt? Oh, my God. I couldn't wait to bring this <laughs> Go up. ahead. Go off. Go off. Because how is it before the guy gets released that it's brilliant and it's great? And there's threads on Reddit talking about the lore, and this is the greatest gimmick right, to come across. Thinks the team more than other decades. wrestlers. He, he He's thinks so it, smart. Yeah, right, right, right. The, the 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 fiend is it's phenomenal. You just don't understand it. It's so great. Then they cut him, and people say, "God, the fiend sucked." And now all of these same people said, "Oh, well, he was booked poorly. That's why <laughs> right. he was Vince bad. Vince took control well, and, t- and steered it in the wrong direction." <laughs> well, make up your mind. But like, is it great or did it suck? That's number one. Because you're telling me Vince booked it into oblivion. Now, hold on now. Ten minutes ago, you were telling me how great it was. How come you weren't telling me it was poorly booked then? Okay? Allegedly, this was great. Now you're telling me Vince ruined it. Also, where is this evidence that Vince McMahon was responsible for all of the things concerning The Fiend that were bad and Bray Wyatt, Wyndham Rotunda, was responsible (laughs) for all the things that were good? Where is this evidence? It's just made-up bullshit. You have no, you have nothing to substantiate or back that up. You have no idea what went on in the room. You have no idea what ideas were presented to Vince McMahon, and you have no idea what ideas ended up on the fucking screen. These are such transparent bullshit defenses of an awful, irredeemably bad gimmick. And at the end of the day, whether 
Vince McMahon was changing things or not. And I believe that he was because he's Vince fucking McMahon. He changes everything. Of course he was. Okay. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a spooky missile that does magic and it was going to suck either way. It does not fucking matter. It doesn't matter what Vince changed. It was an awful, awful gimmick. It sucked. It sucked. I don't care whose vision it was. It was not going to be good. The only way I can accept that argument, the only way I can accept the argument that Vince ruined the Fiend is if Wyndham Rotunda himself comes out and says the Fiend was never meant to be mystical. There was never supposed to be magic. It wasn't supposed to be horror movie derivative bullshit. It was just supposed to be psychological and all this. But that's not the case. You know damn well this guy pitched all of that nonsense. And Vince may have changed some things or tweaked it here or there. But at the end of the day, the basis of this character was going to be a universe-breaking, dirty fucking swamp wizard. That's what it was. Okay? With the split personality, and he was a literal fucking monster. That's what it was. So it doesn't matter what Vince changed. Because unless you could convince me that that wasn't going to be the basis of the character, it all sucked anyway. So I don't give a fuck what Vince did to it. In fact, I'd be more open to an argument that Vince made it better. <laughs> right, I can only imagine. I, because this guy's idea, yeah, you're like you're saying his guy's, guy's ideas. ideas if you follow his, yeah, if you follow his Twitter and stuff, and that's that's where like the argument that like Wyndham Rotunda showed up backstage with his bag, and Vince said, "All right, here, pal, I want you to do this," and Wyndham went, "Oh man," <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the idea that he just came out here and said, "Oh, what you want me to do that this week?" Like, okay, fine, Vince, I'll do it. Like that. Like read this guy's Twitter account from from you know ten years ago to to today. If you think that he didn't have something to do with the fiend, he didn't have something to do with Bray Wyatt, he didn't have something to do with the character and the way those got developed and all that sort of stuff, you're you're out of your mind. It was obviously a guy that Vince thought was creative enough to allow him to have some of that that input in there because you can tell from his tweets, you can tell from his interviews and all that sort of stuff that this was a guy who had some amount of input. And like you said, God only knows what he had in his mind that Vince probably said, "No, we're not doing that." After after listening to to, to our boy Tom End on Twitch. Can you imagine yes. the Wyndham Rotunda Twitch about what he would talk about what he wanted to do? I, I cannot even imagine. I, I doubt it was, yeah, I didn't want the fiend to really be like a spooky guy. I just want to go out there and, you know, work, you know, a solid 15 minute, you know, TV match or whatever. Like you're out of your mind if you think that's what this no guy thought. Chance. Yeah. What you saw was basically what this guy yeah. was coming up with. I just I'm really sure wanted to do arm drags. I really just wanted to get in there and work, you know, back and forth with Seth and, you know, use no. some of the stuff I saw from, you know, you know, I, I was watching uh, 2007 Ring of Honor and I was watching Nigel McGuinness and he was a real inspiration. Like, get out of here. Rich, I have one question for you, and you are representing the Fiend fans, but I have one question oh, for you. Oh, dear God. I want you to answer it. <laughs> no, no, you I don't no, want Rich, to. Okay. No, Rich is, Rich is as answering the question. Okay. At the end of the day, had, had, had the Fiend been unfiltered, do you think it would have been drastically different than what we saw on screen in terms of the magic and the sorcery and the universe breaking things? No. That's my question. No. It's a yes or no. What's your answer? My answer is no. Then we're fucking done here. I don't give a fuck what Vince did that. It, it sucked. It was shit. And unless the answer is yes and we're off base, and let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something right now. If Wyndham Rotunda does a fucking Tom End Twitch stream or writes a fucking book or does a shoot interview and says that that wasn't the case, I'll apologize on this show. But I don't think that's the case. I think this guy's just nuts. And people confuse creativity with just eccentric bullshit it's just eccentric bullshit that's why it appealed to so few people and why at least half the audience either laughed at it or fucking flat out hated it 
It was, it was eccentric bullshit. Right, and, and, and we should point out that this is even pre-Fiend stuff. This is, we, we, if you have been listening to this show for years, you know by about 2015, we were like, this guy fucking stinks. And it took a lot longer for a lot of people to jump on board. But by about 2018, 2019, everybody was on board with this guy. Because, like we would say at the time, like he would have these promos. And the first few times you heard a Bray Wyatt promo, it was like, whoa, this guy's really... But then you realize, wait, what's he talking about? He's not saying anything. He's just saying words in conjunction and saying and doing them in, in, in goofy voices. And oh, how's it going? Oh, yowie, wowie, oh, oh, yeah, wow, yeah. And it's like, what's going on? What are you doing? There's nothing. And at the end of the day, nothing mattered. It did nothing to build up stories. It did nothing to build up pay-per-views. It did well, nothing well, to build puppets, up matches. Yeah. Well, the puppets represented periods of his career. Ah, okay, rep- yeah. But here's the thing. If oh, I have to do you remember? That hard- oh, my God, the Firefly Funhouse. We had to argue with people. That were oh my so the reason John Cena was in the NWO was I get it it's not that hard yes. I get it you don't have to it's explain it to me it's just not that good or interesting like God yeah. do something else like if this is what you're what is high art for you Jesus Christ here's what's good the Midnight Express and the Fantastic <laughs> right. each other right and they want and, and one wants to win the title from the other that's what's good creativity uh um who's the guy that runs the PWO site. Lost. What's his name? Yeah, Lost PWO. I, I don't know his actual name. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he, we've known him for years. I forget his first name. He had the best tweet. He's like the most the most overrated thing in wrestling is creativity. It's so overrated. You don't need to be super creative in wrestling because the the same stories that have worked forever still work. You just have to find new ways to present them. Good versus evil, or this guy doesn't like this guy. Tell me why. Uh, you know, there's a conflict. A tag team breaks. All that stuff still works. The hottest story in wrestling is Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. The fucking tag team that broke up. We've seen that story thousands of times. It's the hottest story in wrestling. I mean, you know, the, the kind of creativity this guy brings to the table is the kind of shit that badly needs a filter. It, half of that shit never should have gotten to air. It's awful. It's irredeemably awful. And that's why moving forward, it's like, you know, do I find him employable by, a, by AEW? I do. But it's going to have to be much more cult leader Bray and way less horror movie. I'm the most creative person in the room. When I go home at night, I take off my socks and then lift them to my nose and take a deep sniff fucking fiend. It has to be less of that because that's all that that is. And it's got to be more rooted in reality because it, it doesn't fit the tone of the promote. I think there's value in the guy. I mean, to bring him in, I wouldn't be tripping over myself to hire him. I don't know, honestly. I don't know if I'd bring him in, but. It's like, I'd give him a try. I mean, but he's not a great wrestler. He's a very average wrestler. Very average. At best, being kind, he's an average wrestler. Okay? Um, I'd say say he's had, in my mind, I would probably say one truly good to great match. That was with Daniel Bryan. And he had to drag him to it, kicking and screaming. Yep. I mean, that was as much of a carry job as you'll see. Yeah, I, I, maybe maybe there's others that I'm missing there, but that is the one that sticks out to me. That, that well, I really... the six-man tags where all the hot six-man tags. Right, right, right. Where else I mean, you can turn. But, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I... Yes, he was he was good in those, but I, I, I tend to think there were, he was probably the fifth best worker in those matches. Well, I think he's... I, see, here's the thing. I think he's popular enough, and he has enough fans where he's worth a look. Because, and I, and, I, and I think if you filter him and you just present him as a creepy human and not a supernatural entity, then I think he's fine. I still don't love him. I never did. But I do think he's popular enough with a certain segment of fans where it'd be foolish not to kick the tires on him. But, 
you know, they're never going to do the creepy supernatural version of him. It's just not going to fit the tone of the promotion or anything else. Um, but could you bring him in and and do more of the cult leader thing with him? I mean, you could, and 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 that's fine. I mean, I didn't have the vit- the vitriolic hatred for that version of him that I did for the fiend. The fiend is is. I mean, I was insulted by that shit as a fan. I, I think it was the worst shit I've ever seen. Yeah, the giant mallet, the getting eaten by yeah. alligators, setting people on fire, or not, you know, kidnapping the Miz's children. Him, it was just terrible. Him being burnt and dying and then coming back. I have no use for any of this shit. It's just garbage. So, I don't know. I mean, that's I, I could see where he was expendable. Um, I have no evidence he was this huge draw that people claim he was no real evidence there's no house show or, or ratings evidence to that just people that say he sold a lot of merch um so i mean i don't know i mean i i quite honestly i'm happy that he's no longer on my tv doing that character because i thought that sucked real bad it's bad enough there's so much bad shit in WWE as it is. I mean, he just made it far worse. So if that character is dead and gone forever, I think that's a positive for pro wrestling. Yeah, we'll see what his next step is, but obviously, uh, or, or if there is a next step, I don't know if this is the end of the road. He, he strikes me as a guy who might just never wrestle again. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, this is it's pretty much all he's known. I mean, obviously, is is, is this system. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out pretty, um, pretty soon, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, where this guy is, but uh, yeah, for me, I I wouldn't mind if I never saw him again. Uh, I don't know that he offers that much to the table, but I, I guess you're right that he's popular enough that at least you try to kick the tires on it. But uh, well, there's this idea: oh, he could take over the Dark Order because it it Gross. fits because he was friends with Brody, and I don't that doesn't do anything for me. No, I mean that idea doesn't do anything. He for should me start at his all, own promotion, right? and then I'll just never watch it. <laughs> what about the idea that, well, you can you can bring him in with Eric Redbeard and Braun Strowman, and you can, no. re- but isn't that just rehashing? Don't do that. The, no. Yeah, that's, that. It's, I, I will, give him different names, and yeah, it's like. Yeah, I'll, I'll give, I'll give AEW a little bit of credit in that sense, that they may have brought a lot of guys over from WWE or ex-WWE guys or whatever, and, and, and yeah, we, we've, we've tackled that, you know, narrative a, a lot where you know hey they signed everybody for fucking five years you know it's like everyone's gonna be there but they've they've stri- they, they they have stayed away from making guys just what they were in the other company you know i mean they, they a lot of the guys do get new starts and fresh starts and different starts that aren't their same personas and i think that would be a horrible that that's really tna level stuff to just bring all three guys in call them eric redbeard and 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 wyatt Braden and you know what i mean like it would just be terrible it would just be like i think someone even said that the song is not a wwe song so you could even get the fucking Catch and Flies song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. I think it's, yeah, some other guy that made so, it. So. It, it. It's like. But no, yeah, I mean, I let, let, Impact, be... let, let Impact do that if they want to do it. I don't care. I don't want AEW doing that. Yeah. No, I'm, I have no interest in it. I mean, um, you know, but here's the thing. If he's such a creative fucking force and the smartest guy in the room, let's see if he can reinvent himself as, I don't know, a pro wrestler. Yeah. Let's see if he could do that if he's so smart. Captain Mike Rotunda's son. I want to see that. I want to see. Yeah. Reinvent v- yourself without the fantasy bullshit. Yeah, VK Wall, VK Wall Street Jr. I want to see him do that. So. You know, because I think a lot of people can, you know, commission someone to make a spooky fucking horror movie mask and then just speak in riddles. I mean, I'm not. Are we the only ones not impressed with this? I mean, I, I was never impressed by it. There was a long time where we were, and then I think we 
got a lot of people joined us and then the fiend came and a lot of people left us again and we're like never mind this is incredible <laughs> it's like the entire time i was like i just want to watch i just want to watch the midnight express versus the rock and roll express i just want jim Cornette to talk shit and then they face each other at wrestle war that's that's all i want yeah i, I don't know it, it yeah I, I don't know I, I have friends that are that, that will swear by it how great it was and i'm just like i don't know man like I, it's i, I guess i'm a curmudgeon <laughs> Like allegedly, he's really into the Illuminati and ah, shit like that. Okay. That sounds even worse. Yes, it like, sounds like, incredibly terrible. Yeah, that's like he wanted to work Illuminati elements into it. Oh, and, and good. Yeah, yeah. Machiavelli that stuff. Sounds yeah, great. Even fun. What? That doesn't sound any better. You know, and and it's like uh, <laughs> I know everyone's bent out of shape because Goldberg squashed him. I thought that was that was incredible. I love that. that. Was a tremendous. Match. <laughs> we, now we may have been the only people in the world that were just like hooting and hollering and and, and high fiving virtually when that happened. I mean, we love that. We took a lot of solace in that. We have been. We we. I, I will say this. Go back in our early shows. We are one of the original Bray Wyatt haters. I will say that when it was not cool to do it, we were in. Uh, and I would say Joe that we were right in the end. But you know, it's you as know, we often was, are. That match wasn't just great for Shadenfreud reasons. Because it was getting <laughs> it was good, yeah. Was the good. Reddit mutants. I liked it because I thought it was funny that you got Bray Wyatt, this guy who does all this magic and this supernatural bullshit, <laughs> and Bill Goldberg, and yeah. Bill Goldberg, who's just the epitome of a dumb jock wrestler, yeah, and former he just... Atlanta Falcon Bill Goldberg. <laughs> and and the whole idea of that guy not being phased or scared because you have to remember this is you know this guy had a feud with seth rollins where seth is like ah yeah oh the mallet ah, oh. <laughs> the, the giant mallet remember the end of raw that time where he's screaming and the lights are flashing yeah. so you have goldberg who's just like looking at this freak <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with you kid like and you know what it was goldberg represented us yes he was just like this is dumb and i'm just gonna spear you i'm gonna jackhammer you i'm gonna beat you because you're a fucking cartoon. I'm not scared. There's nothing scary about this. So I liked what that match represented. I thought it was a funny stroke of I thought it was an interesting stroke of booking to have this the, this dumb jock be like, I don't fucking care about this nerd, and just beat him in 10 seconds. It was it was phenomenal. Right, I, which I, is I also booked by which is also booked by the same guy that again, like as we're saying, I, I hate that we're throwing roses at Vince McMahon here, because obviously he's a, but he understood, you know, like you, you say for like, oh, he it was all his ideas and how he didn't know what he was doing and all he knew we can't have you do this shit against Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg is just yeah, no. Like you're gonna get in the ring, Goldberg, you're gonna look at him like what the fuck is going on, and then you're gonna beat his ass. Like that's it. The only positive memory I have of the fiend is losing to Bill Goldberg. When I really think about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the most positive Wyatt stuff I have, and uh, like actual Bray Wyatt pre-Fiend, and it would be obviously the six-man stuff. Post-six-man, um, probably just having to explain him. I remember I, I, I watched that fucking Dean Ambrose Bray Wyatt where the TV was exploding stuff with like my in-laws. It's like before I actually, I think it was right before we actually got married. We were living at their house. Yeah. And her dad just looks at me and goes... This is what you watch. And I was just like, you know. it's so humiliating. It <laughs> and I'm totally like, all right, look, I understand. Like, yeah. can, first off, can I marry your daughter? <laughs> but second off, like, right. As, right, he's, right, as he's really considering, like, okay, you're living in my house and you're weeks away from marrying my daughter. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, this, like, I really thought my daughter was going to be able to find somebody better than, than this as he's watching, you know, Dean Ambrose hold his face and, and, and Bray Wyatt laugh. And it's just like, yeah, and he just looks at me. I remember his, his his head slowly looks over and he goes, this is what you watch? <laughs> like, yeah, humiliating. I, like, how do you explain that? You just go. You can't. 
You're like, totally I know, cool. I know, I don't like it either. It was about, about the best way. That, that I've never said, I know, I know, I think it sucks too, more than when Bray Wyatt was on my screen and other humans were, were in my house. Yeah. It was always that same, like, they look at me and go, people like this? And I go, I know, I know. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it's stupid too. I mean, it is, it is. You know what? Fuck this guy. That character's dead. Yep. I don't think it's ever coming back unless WWE brings him back. That's the only way. And now we just got to work on getting rid of Alexa Bliss. And, uh, you know, we're free of all this. And then World Wrestling Entertainment will be good again, I'm sure. Uh, Yes, a complete turnaround. I'm I'm thinking now, I'm now in my head to like how you were saying that he needs to reinvent himself. And I would love like an updated IRS that maybe he can, he can, he can rag on like stimulus checks or something like that. You know, know, the more I think about it, the more you're probably right. And and they shouldn't give him a look because. His ideas are all going to be awful. He sucks. Even, He's garbage. Yeah. Even the filtered versions are going to. He's not a good I wrestler. What's this. the benefit? What's the benefit? A bunch of dorks on Reddit say always good. I'm, They'll just complain too. Oh, they're not using him right. Oh, they, he's, he's got so many more better ideas than this. Just let him do his own. Th- go start your own promotion if you're so fucking I, I hear Get you. But it's like their, their money is green too is the way I'm looking at it. Um, and I, I'm confident that he would be filtered properly there. Um, all good on the Tommy end front so far. I have no problem with the way. So far, so good. So far, so good. It looks like they've created a fucking star with that guy. Um, if he wants to wear a fucking mask with antlers on it, and that's the worst it's going to be, I have no problem with that. Um, I did notice that Tommy End's eye had extra black. Yeah, it's getting pretty ridiculous. It's it's now. No, but what I was going to say was his face now. What are we doing? No, but what I was going to say was there's probably some deep meaning for that. That you know, he's going to tweet about someday, but, but it's fine. Like if that shit's all just his own head cannon, I don't give a fuck. Like as long as it doesn't become part of the actual story in the promotion, you know, like Tom end could have all the weird head cannon about himself that he wants. It's not doing me any harm. You know what I mean? So if he wants to change the amount of soot on his fucking eye, and if him and his, you know, 12 nerdy fucking fans are going to be into that shit. Okay. You know, as long as that doesn't become part of the story on the screen. So, um, right. I, hey, let's talk about something else. Yeah, I, I can't no, stand I got no use for this dork. It puts me Go in away. such a bad mood, this fucking Go away. Garbage. We don't have to talk about him for a while now. That's good. Hopefully. God. Hopefully. Um, all right. Like Rick... Dungeons and Dragons or something. <laughs> I think he's even, I think he's even uh, beyond that. I don't, I don't know what realm he's in, but who? What? Nothing better than knock these fucking guys into lockers. That's all I want to do with these fucking <laughs> lore motherfuckers. God. Uh, Ric Flair requested and obtained his release from uh, WWE. Uh, he did in a in a maddening tweet where he capitalized the beginning of every word. So this is going to be tough to read. It's so I don't know how he even did this, and it's so much harder to do. I I I don't even capitalize stuff in text because it's so difficult to do that I just d- never capitalize anything except for the first letter, because it automatically does it. Uh, but I'm going to try to read it the best I could. Quote, I am officially able to respond to all of the press related to my requested release from WWE, which they have given me. He's not a wordsmith either, despite the fact that one of the best promos ever, but not. Uh, he obviously did not write down his promos before he did them here. Uh, I want to make it really clear with everyone that I'm not upset with WWE at all. They are solely... Re- they solely are responsible for putting me in the position of life that I'm in right now, where I'm seen in the brightest light ever. We have a different vision for my future. I wish them nothing but continued success. Thank you for everything. Nothing but respect. All right. So he's obviously coming into AEW. That's a fucking lock and a half. But yeah, he was he was drinking with Jim Ross last week. There was, uh, Jim Ross tweeted that out. 
it was him and, well, and, and Flair with their Hall of Fame ring or whatever. And it's obvious that he went there and said, ah, this looks kind of cool. I want in. And he's in. You are very anti this, this move, though. So why don't you go first on Ric Flair? So I am not anti bringing in Ric Flair. I'm anti Ric Flair. Flair. I you fucking despise Ric Flair. Ric Flair. <laughs> nature Boy Buddy Rogers is the only Nature Boy that I... I uh, but no. Um, no, I just don't want him on my TV every single week. I just don't know what he's worth on TV every single week. I think there's absolutely, absolutely, absolutely tremendous value in bringing in Ric Flair if you're AEW. In, in, in certain fan bases, as an ambassador doing backstage role, occasionally showing up, that sort of stuff, I think is the perfect use of Ric Flair. I don't know that there's a ton of value in Ric Flair as an every week television character. And that might be because I'm, I'm clouded by what WWE has done with him over the last few years. I just don't know that he can go on that level anymore. I don't know that he can cut the promos on that level. I don't know if his head's in it as much as, as it is. I think the best use of him is meet and greet, ambassador, comes out on big shows every so often, presents titles to people. I think there's a way to use him. Every single week, or God forbid this idea that I see that he comes out with Andrade and he's Andrade's manager, I think would be absolutely, absolutely horrible, and I do not want to see him there every single week. I just don't think he has a ton of value as an every week guy. That's all my thing is. I think, obviously, if you're AEW, you have to bring him in, and you're going to bring him in, and he's probably already in there, and they probably are just kind of getting through the contracts and all that sort of stuff, but I just don't want to see him on my TV every single week. I just don't know what he's worth in, in 2021 anymore. We saw Ric Flair at WrestleCon a few years ago in New York. And he looked like he was sedated heavily. And he had, he was having trouble walking. And it was either his wife or his handler who was leading him through the hall. And I think I turned to you and Rob Stryker, and I was like, he's going to just, he don't have much time left. He looks awful. Do you remember that? Yeah, you said, you, you, you walked by and, him, and you stopped, and you go, God, Ric Flair looks awful. And you said, I, 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 he's going to yeah. die. <laughs> like, that man's going to die. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, I tried to And he is going to die. I mean, at some point, Ric Flair um, is going to die. But, yeah, the, the way that you 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 were taken aback by how frail he was. And it, and, and I, I have that same thing, too. And I think it, it's – I saw him – he was doing some autograph signing at, at a mall near me a couple years ago, two or three years ago. And I remember seeing him walk up to the table, and it's like, oh, my God, this guy can't – like – He's yeah. a very old. He's a frail old man at this point. My point here is I was deeply concerned about the state of Ric Flair. And that's like three years ago now or two years ago, three years ago. But the thing about it is when you turn the fucking camera on, somehow he's able to do it. Yeah. It's amazing. And even the last time we saw him doing the story with um, Lacey, Lacey uh, Evans, yeah. with Lacey, he's still able to do it when they turn the camera on. And the other thing about Ric Flair is he still pops a number. People love when Ric Flair is on TV. So, uh, you know, I, I I agree with you. I think there's a use for him. I think the first time they put him on TV, it'll pop a number. Um, I'm with you that they can't overuse him. He absolutely cannot take bumps or do anything physical anymore. I mean, I, that goes without saying. Um, but yeah, there's a use for Ric Flair. And, and there's, you know, I mean, Tully and Arn are right there. I mean, so there's things that you can do uh, with Ric Flair for sure. Um, you know, but yeah, it, it's it's how much are you going to get out of him? I mean, they'll use him better than WWE did. What WWE was doing with him over and over and over was, I don't need you anymore. I don't want to be like you. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm wearing a robe and my last name is Flair. <laughs> wears his robe, uses his music. Does a version of his finisher, uses his last name. Like, 
those storylines never made sense. She couldn't, if she's trying to separate herself from Ric Flair, she's doing a terrible job of it because she's basically a clone of Ric Flair. Um, but that's all they would ever do with Ric Flair. And, you know, the whole Lacey Evans thing, which he has now said he hated, and you could see why he would. It was terrible. Um, th- that company doesn't know how to properly utilize anyone anymore and use them to their strengths. I'd be way more confident in AEW using him to his strengths, the things that you're talking about, um, you know, sporadically appearing. Look, there's way too much there. You know, Tully's there, Arn's there, Sting is there. There's a lot of cool things you can do. There's a lot of different directions you can go. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. They just can't, you know, overusing him would be a problem. But, um, you know, we'll see. It's it's And he is going to reach a point where he's not going to be able to go when you turn that camera on. Yeah. That day is going to come. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy, what is he? He's like 75 or something? I mean, he's uh, 72. Let me get the exact age. I thought it was close. I think I thought it was closer to he's 72. He's only 72. Wow. Yeah, all right. I mean. That's a lot of life lived in M72. Yeah, those are, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a rough you know, 72. Yes. I mean, he. That's a he, couple of lifetimes. That's a couple of lifetimes in those 72. So. I saw, when we saw him in New York, I, he could have passed for an 80 year old man. I mean, I'm not trying to be, do a bit or be cruel. I mean, I, I was deeply concerned for his well being when he attempted to walk out of that room. I mean, his eyes were just, he was. He was medicated for sure. Yeah, and, well, uh, and, and and I think that's one of the reasons why I, I don't know because I the thing with Ric Flair these days, and especially why I wouldn't use him as a regular TV character, is he just he looks like he, he these days he looks like a frail old guy, and yeah, there's a weird perception with that, and I, I think the the other problem too is he's kind of become a caricature in, in recent years, doing just really ridiculous like advertisements all the time and stuff. I just I don't know the the, the current state of Ric Flair. I don't know that there's there's obviously value in using him in some way. I, I just I don't I don't think him as like an everyday manager. I don't think him as an everyday guy. I don't think of him as, as as a regular manager, a regular piece of the show. It's just I, I I just yeah, I don't know. I just don't see it. I just don't see it in his current state. But there's absolutely value. There's a way to use Ric Flair well. And I'm confident that AEW will, and I'm confident that they are not going to use him on a weekly basis. And I know for a fact, or I'm pretty confident, I should say, that they're not going to use him as Andrade's manager. Because the worst thing you can do for a guy who, who who needs some help and charisma is to give him the most charismatic wrestler of all time as his manager. Is probably not the best idea, is, is what I would say. So. Right, when that's the area that the guy is struggling in. Yeah, it's just going to exemplify those weaknesses. Yeah, I, I get it. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, it makes people think a, that I man, hate him. Yeah, and I don't hate him. I, I want to. Br- I would bring him in. I just think you got to be careful with how you. I don't know that giving Ric Flair a live microphone, you know, for fifteen minutes is, or, or ten minutes to cut a promo is a really good idea in in, in twenty twenty one. You know what's funny though? We you know, and this is what I mean that when the light comes on, because we we talk about the state of him in New York, but then WrestleCon put him out there on the wrestling show to kill time waiting for the ambulance to come. And he fucking crushed it. You remember that? Uh, I Was I at that show? I don't think I was at the ambulance show. I, I think I went to something else after that. And it's like, all right, maybe you weren't at that show, but um, yeah, it's like they sent him out there to kill time. And I think it was the same year, but even if it wasn't, and I'm mixing years up. It's like he went out there and just owned the crowd for 15 minutes. So somehow he just, he just fucking, He's fucking Ric Flair. I mean, you know, that's probably what it comes. He's just, he's Rick. He knows how to be Ric Flair, you know? So, 
you know, as long as he's still able to do that, that's that's where the value lies. Uh, so let's talk about some other WWE guys a, a, as well and some interesting stuff going on with them. Uh, Adam Cole, his contract situation. So this is first reported by Wrestling Inc. Uh, that Adam Cole's WWE deal is set to expire this month after SummerSlam. So later this month, uh, his WWE deal is set to expire. And then, so we had that first report from Wrestling Inc. They came out with that. Then Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful came out right after that and said he had an added detail about this Adam Cole deal that originally Adam Cole's deal was up in July but he extended it to continue his program with Kyle O'Reilly. Joe, what the hell do you make of this? I mean, we talked to some people too, and it just seems like, um, first of all, sloppy shop. They can't get their shit straight or know who's under contract or when the contracts are coming due. doesn't seem like he's like eager to get out because he could have gotten out. Um, he's also a pro, and he probably wants to do business the right way, and there's probably that aspect to it too. Uh, There's probably the aspect of maybe he doesn't want to go to a place where his wife is really thriving big time and either steal the heat or leech off of the heat or have the perception that he's stealing the heat or or leeching off the you know maybe that's a, a an aspect of it too. Right. There, there's uh, there's two ways that, that can go wrong. Like you're saying, he could either steal her heat and become you know, or she just completely overshadows him. And and, and both scenarios not right. good. It might I I'm I might be with him if that's his rationale. I, I would say it's probably a good idea. Yeah, I mean, why he maybe he doesn't want to overshadow her thing or be overshadowed himself. Yeah, which is totally fair. Totally fair around. and totally plausible. Absolutely. And how about this? Uh, you know, maybe some people just don't want to work with their spouse. <laughs> That's completely understandable too. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, some yeah, relationships. Maybe they like telling better. stories. Maybe they like every Saturday sitting down at the dinner table and saying, Hey, how was your week? You know, what's going yeah. on? So, you yeah. know, and it, it's, it's, um, I was definitely, I have been in relationships where the last thing I would have wanted was to fucking punch the clock with the person. I mean, so I, I can understand that too. Um, because, so there's a lot of different things in play. And I, I think, you know, I think he likes being there. I don't think he's one of these people who I don't get the sense that he's one of these people who's just watching the fucking, you know, staring at his watch, waiting for the time to run down. Um, I think he enjoys being in that company and being with NXT. So there's probably a lot of different factors at play. He keeps extending with these little short term contracts to stick around. And um, that tells me that would tell me anyway, as his employer, that he wants to stay. But at the same time, He's not committing to anything longer, which also is a a message in itself as well. So yeah, it's or a weird... there, do we know if they're committing anything longer? Like, it, it, do we do we know that he's turning down long term? I deals? don't know anything. A lot yeah, of this is so just weird. my yeah. gut, and my feeling, and and you know the conversations we've had with some people. But um, it's just a bizarre scenario. Now, if he is a free agent and he's on the market, and you're Tony Khan, of course you bring him in. I mean, it's not a, you know it's not it's a no brainer. It's fucking. You know, he yeah, with history Adam, with half the roster he's got history with. I mean, yeah, no, no brainer. And now, listen, he should be being pushed on Raw right now. Let me be clear. But they're dumb and we know they suck and they're not going <laughs> to do that. And I mean, he started, he got over a couple years ago when they brought him up to wrestle. Remember when Brian Danielson was dead set on getting him over and yeah. he wrestled him on SmackDown? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, he, he, and, he came up with the NXT guys when everybody else was stranded in uh, Saudi Arabia. And then they just kind of said, fuck it, let's go with it for a little bit. And it, the little and, bit and, was like three weeks, and then they stopped going with it. So, well, and they were also building NXT up for the Survivor Series. The Survivor Series, a, yeah, yeah. 
they did a great job with that build. And then the Survivor Series itself was very good. And NXT was presented. <laughs> what was the follow-up? On- what happened after that show? I forget. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's the typical arm's length with them because they fucking, they, they shit the bed immediately. But the build was good. The pay-per-view was good. And they're building up NXT. And then they just fucking forgot about it the, the same way they did ECW in 2006 when they had something hot there and they let it go. But yeah, I mean, so he he proved he can get over on the main roster during that time. But it's like, if they thought anything of him and wanted to do that, they would have revisited that. And they haven't. Um, I think that he's obviously perfect. The AEW audience would, he would be a mega star there. Day one is what I think. I mean, they would, they, they, he's, he's one of their guys, that audience. So he would fit like a glove. The audience would embrace him. They would accept him. Oh, yeah. Dude, it would take, star. it would take one promo where he goes, yeah, over there. They didn't understand. You know what I mean? Like one of those, you know, I don't even think he'd have to do that. I don't honestly. think he would have to, but I think it would, if he did, it would be, even, you know, I, I, I think it'd be perfectly fine. But he's no, he's Adam Cole, baby. Yeah. He, he's doing that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and he has stories with all those guys and he's, everything yes. with the elite before. So yeah, it, it, anybody doubting that he would be a big time deal in AEW is out of their mind. I mean, he'd uh, be a layup and maybe he is concerned that it would overshadow Brit and she's doing great and why even mess with that fucking delicate fucking chemistry you know what I mean I can understand all of that if that's his mindset I don't know that it is I'm just throwing ideas out there but it's like he'd be perfect for that fucking roster and it's it's he'd probably make a shit ton of money and uh, be a top guy and all those things but I you know we don't know what he wants or or you know or where his mind is at it's interesting though if he does become available they have to jump at it and they have to do whatever it takes to get them. Um, but, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, another guy as well. This came out uh, right before we were actually going to record here. Uh, the contract of another former NXT wrestler, NXT UK champion here. This is also for Fightful. Pete Dunne, also uh, his contract expiring after SummerSlam weekend. That's all we have is after SummerSlam weekend. Uh, there we go. And the, according to the report from Fightful, uh, situation uh, is very similar to Adam Cole's in that, uh, yeah, he, he's he's sticking around, but after SummerSlam, his contract expires as well. And um, I, I saw a lot of Pete Dunne is not actually good tweets today that are just... It's crazy. <laughs> These guys incre- Like, okay, A, you're not watching NXT. I know, I know NXT sucks. I agree NXT sucks, but if you don't think yeah. Pete Dunne could walk into any wrestling roster in the world, any roster, name any roster you want, and be one of the top five wrestlers in that com- in that in that company within weeks. You're you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah, out of your I mind. I mean, if I'm Pete Dunne, they either offer me a a main roster contract or I'm out. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm not fucking around in NXT UK it, or, or NXT anymore. We're done with that. New Japan would take him in a second flat. Um, AEW would take him in a second flat. If I'm Tony Khan and Pete Dunn's available, he's not available the next day. It's as simple as that. I mean, I get the deal done and I bring him in. Um, I'm ROH. I'm throwing money at him. Impact, whoever. Yeah, New Japan. New Japan if I'm New Japan strong, them. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that one's a no-brainer. So if I'm him, if I'm in his shoes, put me on that main roster, give me that main roster money, enough of these NXT contracts, these NXT UK. I'm sure... I shouldn't say I'm sure because I, I don't know. I would assume he's off the NXT UK deal that he signed five years ago. Has it been like five years already? I think it has. Uh, Joe, indeed, the NXT and, uh, UK tournament was five years ago, yes. 
Yeah, I'm sure he's off of that deal. And we all know that those deals weren't great because they were like part-time deals. They're like, you know, 30,000 a year or whatever. I'm sure he's off of that deal and on an NXT deal. But if I'm him, you're either putting me on the main roster. And at that point, I have to accept that they're not going to use me well because he's not getting pushed on the main roster. Um, or I'm out of here because I'm he I'm sure he can make better money than a standard NXT deal. And again, I'm working under the assumption that he's under a standard NXT deal. Then he and get put and get pushed anywhere. Anywhere he goes, he's gonna get pushed, which means there's more opportunity to make more money beyond that. So the only thing in that company that can match that would be a main roster contract. They offer me that, I'll fucking sign it. Cause that, you know. Especially if you're not overly concerned with – if you're a Tyler Breeze, you sign the main roster contract. If you're not overly concerned with your push or being creatively fulfilled, WWE main roster contracts are tremendous. You're going to make a shit ton of money. There's a good chance you're going to become a millionaire. But if it's not that and I'm him, I'm out. They haven't shown a ton of, uh, of want or effort to put him on the main roster. They haven't. So what makes him think if he signs another NXT deal? that someday they're going to give him the call and he's going to make big boy money. What makes him think that? And the way that the, that NXT is perceived in that company right now would not be something that would throw me. No, no, certainly not. So I'm telling you, if it's, yeah, I, don't, I would have, I would have zero faith that, that, you know, if I sign that main, that if I sign that main roster deal, or if I sign an NXT deal, if I sign any deal, if I'm Pete Dunn, I, I, the writing should be on the wall with this guy in terms of how NXT UK has been rolled out. You know, what's going on with NXT UK? What's going on with NXT on the main roster? What's going on with me on the main roster? Why haven't been, I mean, there's just, I just don't see any benefit. You know what I mean? I just don't see any well, of the positive. Here's the one benefit. If he's a, I like being a WWE superstar guy. Right. That is my goal is to be a world wrestling entertainment superstar. And I'm going to main event WrestleMania one day guy. And then. they all, or even if he doesn't think that, even if he's just, I like being here and I want to be on that main roster and they offer him that I could see him taking it. I mean, those are good deals. They're a lot of money, you know, but any other scenario, I don't see why you would stay. There. I mean, it just, it's very discouraging the way that they perceive and treat NXT these days. So asking you to recommit to two or three years of NXT to me would be scary because I don't like my prospects. They call people up now and bury them. Um, you know, they, uh, there's, there's clear animosity between the people running the main roster and the people running NXT. So, um, but again, there's a lot of people in NXT who love it there and are comfortable there. Right, Tommaso right. Ciampa, it, you know, um, Johnny Gargano. It seems like Adam Cole really likes it there. And, you know, it, it, everyone's different. Everyone's driven by different things. I mean, Tommaso Ciampa said he would retire if he got called up. So he must be happy making sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year or whatever it is. Maybe it's more. I don't know. And just, you know, being a guy and. A big fish in a smaller pond. But. Yeah, it's it's not a for for someone like Ciampa, I absolutely get it. It's not a bad gig. Someone like a Bobby Fish, I absolutely get it. It's not a bad gig. You get to work oh, with Triple gig. H and yeah. and and, and Shawn Michaels. You get to work once a week. You know, yeah, when they go back on the road, then maybe you have to work a few more times per week. But not, you know, you're not. There's not a grind. You know what I mean? There's not really a grind there. You live in Winter Park, Florida, or you live in some condo in Florida, or some nice little house in Florida. You drive ten minutes to work. You do your work. You go home. You do a taping. And you they're go older home. guys yeah. that aren't going to be big stars. Right. Right. Bobby fish knows this is probably the best it's going to be so i'm good he's 45 years old right i mean if i'm 27 you know, and i'm pete dunn uh, you know yeah i have a different outlook i would Absolutely. i would strive a little higher but you know hey 
you know, why would Tyler Bate ever stay there? I mean, it, it just I don't know. And and if you're and if you're Pete Dunn or Tyler Bate, you know, you could come back. You're in your 20. Tyler Bate's like 23. You know, it's like and, the, and and if you make a name somewhere else, they they fucking covet that. Like that's a that's that was the move for a long time. Make a name and then they'll want you more. So I don't know if I'm Pete Dunn and if it's not it's main roster contractor, fuck you, I'm out of here. But I don't know what's in his head. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Mr. Krejci. Well, it seems as though Mr. Krejci has left me on my own. Perhaps he's uh, taking a piss. Or I was, oh, there I, was he is. I was removing okay. a zucchini bread from the oven. I was given instructions. And yeah. Ah, okay. She well. started a zucchini bread and then went to bed and then said, Hey, can you take care of this? I said, sure. I don't have I don't have a live radio show I'm doing anything. Sure, no problem. Ah, well, you know. I can take the, the zu- nurse for you. I can take the zucchini you know? bread out for you. I got nothing else going on. No, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Can and let it cool for ten minutes and then take it out of the pan. So I have to do that too in ten minutes. So you can remind me. While we're talking about Genki Horikuchi to, t- to take it out of the pan. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> the nerve. The nerve. Uh, all right. So you ready to talk Dragon Gate here? Yeah, let's do the Dragon Gate. Let's do the Dragon Gate. So we had two big shows here, July 31st, August 1st, the weekend. Uh, for a more extended review of both of these, open the Voice Gate here on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network, of course. Uh, Case and Mike, who did a great job previewing this event. Case wrote one of the best things we've ever had on this entire website, uh, his detailed uh, recap of, of Masato Yoshino's career. Uh, absolutely a must-read. Uh, to go on the website and, and 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 check that out. But yeah, great week from those guys, just previewing everything, talking about all the, the stuff going on, talking about Masato Yoshino, talking about these shows. Uh, and they have done re- they've done reviews as well. Uh, Case did the thirty first. Uh, Mike Spears did the August first, and they also have open the voice gates uh, on the podcast network as well. Uh, an extensive review of both nights here. But we're gonna do a little bit more of a condensed one because we have some other topics we want to get to. But uh, uh, overall, I thought these were two very good shows. Um, no. No, no, no! I'm sweating my balls off over oh, here. Oh, you're! I thought you were like, whoa! I thought you were like, I'm gonna bury the fuck out of these shows, and I'm like, man, <laughs> you're right in there. See, no, see, here's the thing. I like it fucking freezing cold in the house. Okay, I I turn that air down. You're one of those maniacs. Well, what what is your normal? I don't even want to know what your thermostat is. What what's a Joe Lanza thermostat? Seventy. Oh, that's not bad. Okay, that's not too bad. No, I'm not like a 64 guy. There's a, yeah, those people are weird. I, I go to the people's house. And I'm like, I, what are you doing? <laughs> What's going on here? The problem is TLB is like a 78 person. That's me. Yeah, I'm the same. It's one. too fucking hot. So what? So when I'm up here doing the show, she's got control of the thermostat, obviously. So <laughs> she's smoking you out there. <laughs> yeah. So about two hours into this thing, every night, I'm like, I'm, I am, I'm fucking hot, and I'm not someone who sweats. So the the heat is worse because I'm not sweating it out. You know what I mean? So it's like I am. It's all. I, I almost want to sneak out there and and, and turn it back down. It's, well, in ten minutes, we can we can do a. Uh, I'll I'll get the zucchini bread out of the pan, and you can go switch the thermostats. We'll, we'll it's a you know in the middle of the night, it's a fucking battle in this house because I stay up later and I, I will sneak up the stairs and turn uh, it back so down. I do like the same. Oh, you know what? That happens in this house too. So what'll happen is you know she'll wake up because she's hot, 
and she'll put it yeah. down to 70 and then I wake up to pee and that thing goes right back to 73 or 74. Yeah. She yeah. wakes up, it goes to 70 and it is, it is the, the nest gets a lot of work in the nighttime here. So uh, that battle is waged here too. <laughs> there you go. So. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't know. I have it on my phone too. I have the app so I can even, I can. Oh, my phone crap. Right now, so. oh, see now that's fucking. Sometimes man. I'll smoke her out when I'm at work and I, I check and it's at like 68 and I'm like, no, 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 no. That shit turned here, up at work. <laughs> here's the other problem. The room I'm in is the hot. You know, you have the one house. Ha- I'm in it. House. I know. I'm in the one that gets nothing. It gets nothing. I have the it's fan awful. below me. It gets nothing. I'm, I always sweat every single in the, in the winter. I'm wearing 15 layers in the summer. I'm shirtless. I'm basically Joe Lanza. I'm shirtless. I am wearing pants though, but I'm also constantly sweating the entire time. So it is, it is. It's, oh, I'm in the hot room. It yeah. sucks. Like, this room doesn't get any fucking air as it is. So if it's 78 out there, it's like 83 in here. It's, <laughs> yeah. it is, oh, I can't open the fucking window because it's hot Texas air. That's not going to help. Not only that, that dog that I talked about a couple months <laughs> oh, ago yeah, is still dog, out there barking. Right. So it's just a fucking, it's dog. just the worst. Uh. So she, I'm like, listen, you can't turn it up because you have to remember it's like three or four degrees hotter in here for me. So you know what I gotta? You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put this fucking ceiling fan on. That's number one. All there right, you go. Oh, oh, you have a ceiling talk fan? Oh, come on, come on. That's a ceiling yeah. fan right there. All right, let's let's talk about this uh, uh, Kobe uh, World Show, July 31st, first one I mentioned here. And then we'll talk about Speed Star Final on August 1st. We'll start. We'll start with the main event here uh, of Kobe World because I think that's the most important thing to talk about here. Open the Dreamgate title match. Soon, Shun Skywalker defending the title against KZ, and we've talked about this as well. If you followed Dragon Gate for any amount of time, you know that Shun Skywalker has had. The worst luck with this title reign so far. He had a match with Ben K, where Ben K basically got knocked out uh, a couple minutes into the match and 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 really derailed the rest of the match. Uh, he had the match with uh, uh, Hip Hop Kokido, who separated his shoulder and tried to keep going with the match but couldn't do it. I mean, he had numerous matches where something would go wrong, somebody would get hurt, somebody would get injured, somebody couldn't wrestle the match or whatever. Uh, he comes out here on this night in the main event of Kobe World in a in a in a pretty filled building as well, obviously with, with COVID restrictions and whatnot, and goes out there with KZ and has. One of my favorite Dragon Gate matches of the entire year. One of my favorite Dragon Gate matches in a long, long time here between Shun Skywalker and KZ. I love this match. And this really put the stamp on like, okay, for all the bad luck that this guy's had, this dude is a guy. Like, if you forgot that Shun Skywalker was a, a top, top tier guy, this match reminded you. I thought he was incredible in this match. And KZ has been like, over the last few years, my favorite Dragon Gate guy in this company. In terms of delivering in big spots, KZ does it every single time, and this was no exception here. Obviously, Shun Skywalker gets the win, retains the title, but uh, what did you think of this match, Shun Skywalker uh, and KZ from the main event of Kobe World? Oh, that's what we're starting with here. I just put the fucking... Yes, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. um, No, that's all right. Um, No, yeah, I really liked it. I don't... I did... I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. Um, It sounds like you liked it a little more than I did. Uh, but, a little uh, bit, yeah. I, I said I said it was one of my favorite Dragon Gate matches in a long time. Uh, I know that a lot of people went five stars on it. I, I've seen a lot of that. I am not there. I'm probably four and a oh, quarter, okay. four and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm not quite there. Yeah, I'm more like four flat. Okay, that's where I'm at. That's fair. I thought it was a yeah. I thought it was a really good match. I think it was important for Shun to have a couple of really good matches on these two shows because you know he had. The, the match with Ben K where Ben K got knocked out. He had the match with uh, Hip Hop Kakuda where Kakuda injured his arm like three minutes into the match. So in some ways, it's been kind of a cursed reign. <laughs> so I, w- I went over all this already, but that's fine. 
<laughs> like it's literally in that order in that order i'm like joe this is incredible information you're giving to these listeners here keep going yeah would you say joe would you say that his reign has been cursed yeah. take a piss would you say he's been snake bitten in this reign would you would you say that so but go on go on keep going you have a, you have a point you're on a roll go well now i'm embarrassed um it was a good open the dream gate <laughs> title match and I enjoyed the Yamato match as well, uh, but I don't know if you want to jump ahead to that. You want to just do Shun in one shot? You yeah, let, just... let's do Shun in one shot. So then what happens is the next night at Speedstar Final, uh, he is going to defend the title against Yamato. Back-to-back days here, back-to-back title defenses in Kobe World, something that's almost ne- – I don't think has ever been done because uh, they've never run back-to-back days uh, in Kobe World Hall, but obviously, you know, with COVID restrictions, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but still, that was something that they were saying, hey, we're running back-to-back for the first time ever, and here's a guy defending his title in back-to-back nights in this building, in this arena. So he goes there and he goes 25 minutes with KZ in opening night or in the first night. Gets taken to the absolute limit, but but survives and wins. The next night he goes against the veteran Yamato and he loses the Open the Dream Gate Championship match to Yamato. Yamato defeats him. We have a new champion, Shun Skywalker. Uh, no longer, obviously, the Open the Dream Gate champion. Uh, first off, before we talk about the match, what did you make of the decision to have Yamato beat Shun Skywalker on the second night? I mean, I I was enjoying Shun as champion, so I don't love it. But at the same time, I don't think it's anything that's going to crash business or I don't think it's like some awful decision. Skywalker's had the title since um, October or November of 2020. I guess that match was uh, the end of 2020. So, I mean, he's had it almost a year. It's his first reign. He's obviously going to have more. Um, We discussed some of the issues with the reign, but I think there were great matches in the reign too. I mean. I thought the title win over Eita and the match against Kazuma Sakamoto, of all people, were my two favorite matches of his run. I would put the two matches here, uh, the KZ match, the Yamato match, and probably the... uh, I'm missing one. Keito Ishida, maybe? Yeah, I'd put those in the same neighborhood. But, um, yeah, look, I don't love it. But, you know, I like long title reigns. A lot of people... Don't and a lot of promotions aren't in, don't really do that anymore. Um, but I I don't think it's like some horrible decision that the company made here, though. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. And in the moment when I when it happened, I was kind of unspoiled. And when it happened, I was just like, whoa, I don't know about that. That's a little weird. And then I started to think about it a little bit, and 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 I'm okay with it. I, I'm okay with it now because what it told you first off, and I think they told a pretty good story there where. He did it back-to-back night. So it proves that, like, you know, it, it's sort of the story that this guy stretched himself way too thin. And he tried to yeah. do something that you can't do. You can't have two main event level open the Dream Gate matches back-to-back and, 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 and survive with your title. If he does that, like, he's a made, you know what I mean? He's, like, such a made man at that point. It's like, whoa, this guy came to Kobe World, defended the title one night. The next night went up against a veteran and defended the title again. Like, that, that's all-time, all-time stuff. That's like you, you're 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 there. You're a made man at that point. You know what I mean? Like right. you've done something that nobody else can do. So at least you can. There, there's this strive for something in the future. Okay, he stretched himself too thin, but now it's time to kind of refocus and say, okay, well, I can't do. I, I, I'm not capable of doing that. But maybe down the line, if they do this again, he could do it. Maybe down the line, he is the Open the Dream Gate champion again and, and and defends it on both nights. So he has something to strive for there. Also, if he beats Yamato, it's like, all right, next, what's up next for Shun Skywalker? You know, it's it's kind of he's clear. You've come out. Of, you've come out of your tree. Right, right, right. So, can I throw this at you, and you may not even know this? Yeah, go ahead. Yamato is five and zero for Shun Skywalker. Wow. Okay. So, see. So, they're telling a story here too, where right. this is the guy Shun can't 
overcome. Now, I'm sure you remember Yamato beat him in the King of Gate because that's what set all of this up. Yes, right, right, right. But early in the career, he's got three wins over him, too, when Shun was still, you know, a young boy. Like, he wasn't going to beat Yamato in 2018 um, or before. So, but all told now, he's now 5-0 and against this guy. So now Shun has this veteran wrestler, this all-time Dragon Gate star, who he cannot, the story is he cannot figure this man out. But I, but like you said too, this was also his second defense on back-to-back nights, which is a story in itself too. Right, and that's the one that I think I attach myself even to a little bit more than the Yamato one, is just that this guy, he went for it. He said, yeah, sure, I'll defend the title on both nights. And it's like, well, hold on, man, that's not easy to do. And 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 it showed here that, that he, he just could not do it. And nobody is capable of doing that right now, defending on both nights back-to-back. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't mind. That's not a bad story to me. So, yeah. Um, no, and they had a pretty good King of Gate match too. I, I like this one better. Yes, this, this was a lot better. Both these matches were fantastic. I mean, when, when you talk about Shun Skywalker kind of righting the wrongs of, of this title reign, and, and, and v- very few of these wrongs were his fault, obviously. A lot of stuff that just happened, just total bad luck, snake bitten, you, you know, curse, whatever you want to say. This really established, okay, this guy is really, really, really good. And he's a, a, a top, top tier guy uh, and capable of doing some pretty incredible stuff. So he'll be back. There's no doubt about it. And he's not going anywhere. This is not the end of Shun Skywalker. And, and uh, I think you needed these two matches to kind of establish that this reign was good. Because in the end, it, it is going to be a pretty good reign. But but now you're just kind of waiting and seeing, okay, now, when's he going to get that next reign eventually down the line? And hopefully in that time, he, he's he's... He's able to have these matches. You know, half the rain doesn't have to be marred by a bunch of random injuries and and and, and COVID and all that sort of stuff. But uh, no, I I don't mind it. And Yamato getting the title, that's you know, veteran and and, and we say it, like Dragon Gate is is great. A guy can be doing some bunch of stuff throughout the year. You know, messing around with fucking Kai and Cosmo Sakamoto, and then anytime they want to kind of light a guy on fire, they can do it immediately. And that's what they're doing with Yamato right now. And 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 Dragon Gate does it better than anybody else. And it always makes sense when they do it too. So. Yeah, I think both title matches are low-level notebook matches for sure, uh, but I don't see them at match of the year level. Yeah, I think I like the the, the KZ Shun one a little bit more than you, but I'm probably about four flat on Yamato. You no, know, the Shun. KZ Shun one had some spots that really bothered me. There was the there was the um, uh, European uppercut that KZ whiffed on that Shun sold anyway, where he missed him by about. Three oh feet. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there was also a very uh, messy uh, cradle like rolled up schoolboy kind of deal. They, they, they seem to be a little messy at times in the match. And that's really what held it back for me from being an upper level match. Cause there were just some glaring problems with it that just, you know, and those, you know, and, and they could have been solved by just had they chosen, happened to choose another camera angle or something, but it is what it is. I mean, the, the, there were a couple spots that were real messy. Uh, I thought the closing stretch, was a lot of fun. I was stunned by I was I went in unspoiled, so I was really surprised by the Yamato win. Um but yeah, I would say I, I probably liked the Yamato match a little bit more than the KZ match, but they're both, you know, in that four star range for me. Uh so we'll go back to the first night as well. We'll we'll kind of work our way down. The open the twin gate match. Uh was natural vibes, King Shimizu uh, and Susumu defeating the R.E.D. team of Kaito Ishida and Cosmo Sakamoto. This is a title change. The R.E.D. team came in with the Twin Gate titles. Uh, Natural Vibes wins it from them. Uh, this is pretty good. Uh, not great. There's a, there's a match earlier in the night that I liked a little bit more than this, but uh, uh, it's Susumu, so it's always going to be pretty damn good. And 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 Cosmo Sakamoto, I I 
I am one of his biggest haters, but I, his this Dragon Gate run's been pretty damn good for Cosmo. I, I I have to admit it. I have to I have to finally do it. So yeah, I mean, you know, this was a. I, I, got no, both, I got no time for King Shimizu though. I'm sorry. No, I don't like that. I, I think it sucks. I think it's fucking garbage. So I don't. I don't. It's one of those Dragon Gate things. It'll go away in a couple months. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's what he's doing for now. And you know, I don't like natural vibes at all. I just I don't like the. I just that kind of gimmick never works for me. Um, like don't don't be cute and dance. Just get in there and fuck. <laughs> I, just, I want people to fuck. Like I Susumu, don't care Susumu, about dance. You're like Susumu. He's like, I don't get this. Let's just go. Let's wrestle the match, guys. Susumu is just such a bad fit for that, and always has been. Yeah, I don't understand That's, it. But I, I, I guess it's why. funny. I get it from KZ standpoint, but even then, he was all business in this Dreamgate match, where where these guys are never. Yeah. You know, the, the 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 majority of natural vibes is never all business. You know, it's it's. You notice how the dancing's getting worse? It is really regressing. It's <laughs> totally uncoordinated. <laughs> like they're not coordinated with one another, and it's just. It's it's really bad, but I mean, this is just a vehicle for King Shimizu to do some comedy right now, and I guess we'll lump these two matches together too, because then they beat Ben K and Dragon Kid. I thought that was the better of the oh, two. Oh, way better, blew the other yeah. one away. I thought, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. you talk about the guys yeah. in the ring. I mean, just better guys in the ring. Uh, but yeah. no, that that match had a different structure, felt better to me. I mean, that that was Ben K and Dragon Kid. That's a hell of a team. I like those guys. Just the juxtaposition of those two. Uh, and I was and rooting for him. Absolutely, I was rooting for him too. But they did not get it done here. Uh, yeah. King Shimizu and Susumu uh, retain the titles in, in, in the second night there. So Let's do Triangle Gate. Yeah, let's do that, because I thought the Triangle Gate from July 31st, the first, I love this match. It's Dragon Daya, Jason Lee, and La Estrella uh, versus the RED team, Dia Inferno, Diamante, and SB Kento. They went 13 minutes and 23 seconds. This is one of my favorite Dragon Gate matches in a long time, or one of my favorite Triangle Gate matches, I should say, in a very long time, because I thought this was just boom, 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 fast action, guys in and out of the ring, guys doing stuff, like... I thought this was really, really good. It did not overstay its welcome. It's the opposite of what a lot of Triangle Gate matches were, where sometimes it would take 25 minutes. Oh, yeah. They'd yeah. be bouncing. They'd be half the crowd. Half the guys would be crowd brawling. The other guys would be fucking around with a goddamn, you know, the resistance tube or resistance band or whatever. This was just the bell rang. These guys just did shit for 13 minutes and they got out of there. I, I thought this was tremendous. So Masquerade wins both nights. They do. And so they, they are able to. They, they, what Shun Skywalker could not do, Masquerade was able to do and win both nights. And I thought, I thought that on the first night, I thought Estrella needed a big performance because he's been shaky lately, and I thought he got one. I thought he, he was, was great. great. Oh, yeah. He, he was great. And Jason Lee is getting better by the day. And that fucking dropkick. Jason drop Lee kick, is always great. Oh, that just... dropkick that he's got. Now, he has figured it out, and it comes out of nowhere, and it's just boom. It, it's... You know what Jason Lee is now? He is – he's – not the same kind of wrestler, but he's got a little – he's got some Susumu in him where you can see him being the backbone uh, glue guy in a company for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I view him right now because I don't know that he has the necessary charisma to be a top guy or an ace. That I don't think he has. But he is so good in the ring that I can see him being there for 12, 15 years and just being a guy who you turn around at the end of that and you say – not many people have been better than this guy over the last decade, decade and a half. That's the feel he has to me as a worker. He is rock solid. But Estrella needed a big performance, and he got one. He was good the second night, too, but he was so smooth, and he's he's inconsistent, though. And he's going to be because he's a young wrestler and all that. But uh, I thought he nailed it on this night. i tell you what. The second night, <laughs> you know who impressed me the most in that match? <laughs> 
I'm very curious Tor- what this answer is going to be. Yeah. Toru Awashi. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> was so good in that match. Am I on the, am I on Lance Island uh, here? No, he's pretty awesome. Yeah, he's pretty I I I like his I like the look. He's got a fun look. I, kinda, I was not expecting that kind of performance out of him. Yeah, that was nice. I think he I think he he missed the Durangate ring. I think he was like, "You know what? This is kind of cool." Uh, oh, okay. Well, let's pump the brakes. I don't want more of this guy. <laughs> I'm just saying on this night. I'm saying he was inspired this night. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I yeah. would bring him in constantly, but I don't know. Um, on this night though. Yeah, no. I thought <laughs> Um, man, I mean, he was, I, I couldn't believe how good he was in this match. Um, I thought the both triangle gate matches were a shit ton of fun. Um, yes. I'm even a match with brother Yashi was <laughs> yeah, somehow yeah, yeah. a shit ton of fun. Yeah. That, that La Estrella um, team is when, 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 or when Masquerade, that when, when La Estrella is working on that team, that team is like, cause Dragon Daya, you know what you're going to get from him. Jason Lee is yeah. super liable at this point, like you said, very much like Susumu, where you just know it's all if if Lastrell is going to hit his wild shit, it's going to be awesome. And sometimes he does his wild shit and it doesn't hit and it's kind of clunky and it doesn't work or he fucks up or something like that. Both these nights, I think he hit pretty much everything that he tried to do. And when he does that, this team is like it's next level good in terms of what they can do. So, yeah, I, both both nights were really, really good. Awashi can just go back to DDT now. <laughs> You're but done with the Awashi. I'm done with him. But on this night. Very impressive. I, so are you, are you disappointed by Suji Kondo's output these days? Well, Suji, I mean, he may as well not have been in this match. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, um, I, he used to be pretty good, like, not that long ago, right? I think he's, I mean, I don't I, I don't look at him and think that, like, he sucks or anything. I just he don't just think. He try, though, right? Like, I don't know. He really didn't do much in the match. He, he was an afterthought in the match. I mean, sometimes in these six mans, someone's just not going to be a guy, you know, and he just wasn't a guy in this one. Um. I mean, sometimes that happens. I don't know. Um, keep an eye on it, maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe you know, he's no. I think he's battling. I think he's battling some injuries, and I think he had like an Achilles injury earlier in the year, and that maybe that still bothered him or something like that. So who knows? He's also forty three. Yeah, he's an old dude, so I get it. Well, Carrying I, a lot of weight. Yeah, man. Fucking fire hydrant. He's a fire hydrant. Fucking. I love it. He's like five six, three ten. Like it's just stocky like, fuck. Yeah, it's I don't a, know if he's three ten, but no, yeah, no, I don't stuck. think he's three ten. But yeah, it's, it's just a big old chest. Yeah, just a big old boy. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> he, he looks like a fucking fire hydrant. It I looks love, like you know. I love Suji Kondo. It's, I just want him to be great again, but uh, I don't know. Looks like you can undo a screw on him and just water him. <laughs> right, just leak out. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so but, Wikipedia lists them at five eight two twenty. I am going to take a lot of. <laughs> I do not think. That man is 5'8", and I do not think that man is 220. I think both of those measurements are... (laughs) Wildly incorrect. As Gorilla Monsoon would say, highly unlikely. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Let's... uh, Oh, let me talk... Let's talk about the Brave Gate here. Brave Gate, yeah. Brave Gate. Yeah, Genki Horiguchi versus Keisuke Okuda on the uh, first night. Genki Horiguchi, in 7 minutes and 48 seconds, rolls up Keisuke Okuda, 1, 2, 3, and pins him to win. And the backslide from the fucking heavens, or whatever he calls it. Yeah. Um, if you're going to beat Okuda, that's how you do it. If you're Genki Horiguchi. So I thought that was clever. Um, I thought the setup wasn't great. I think that it came, it, it didn't come out of nowhere. Like I wanted it to. And they didn't, I don't know that they did a good job of building towards it. I'm with you that the actual move itself is the way you should beat him. I just thought it was a little no clunky. One gets out of that shit. That's yeah. like his fucking thing. You know, no, this, no. I have a killer backslide and that's the kind of move that would beat the shooter man. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
catch him, catch him in that moment. Point. But yeah, I think both guys, like, I, I don't think Akuda sold it well enough that, that he kind of got caught by it. Uh, it was messy. It was just messy. It was just clunky and weird, and it didn't quite yeah. work. And and you know, ultimately, I don't care that much that Genki beat him. I don't care that Okuda's you know Brave Gate title run, uh, you know, title reign ended. What I am upset though is that the next day, open the Brave Gate title match, Kajitora just goes out there and beats Genki Horiguchi in seven minutes. Well, I'm not going to complain about that because you know I like big match catch, and this means he's going to be in big matches because he's going to be the Brave Gate champion. Well, this wasn't a super hot match. Well, he's facing but, SB uh, Kento in a few days, so don't. Uh... Well, that's one more big match at least. Don't yeah, <laughs> don't don't count those chickens. Yet. I, mean, I will say this: when we first talked about the show a couple weeks ago, I gave Genki no chance. But then when I went back and crash watched some stuff and listened to some audio, and it it seems like they tipped off Genki beating Okuda. Like I, I it wasn't surprising after I got schooled on some things. Uh, so I will say that. I, it, the win probably would have came as more of a shock to me if I didn't catch up on Dragon Gate the way I did and, and familiarize myself with the card. Um, the Kajitora win did surprise me, but I don't think it matters either way. And I, and I like Kajitora better as a wrestler than Genki, so I've always been a big Kajitora fan. So, um, you know, just as a fan sitting on my couch watching this, I liked that he won. I didn't think they had a great match, though. No. Um, it, it was, I mean, it's kind of messy, honestly. Yeah, it's tough because I, 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 I like everybody. For those guys in, especially. Yeah, I like all these guys. I mean, I, I, I like Kejitora. I like Genki Horiguchi. I like Keisuke Okuda. But I, I don't know what. Just a weird weekend for, for these guys. They just did nah, not. The Triangle Gate blew away to Brave Gate. It did. Way. Yeah, and that's very, very not. You know, I'm usually very much the opposite of that. But it, Me but, too. But yeah, it was, it was weird this weekend. It was just like, ah, I don't know, man. This was just a, an off weekend. Uh, for the Brave Gate, but uh, let's then talk about uh, Masato Yoshino. So obviously, on, on the first night there, uh, he has just a, a, a tag match with a bunch of dudes: Dragon Kid, Kajitori, Yamato, Doi, uh, Ultimo Dragon. They face Suji Kondo, uh, Sugawara, Washi, Yashi, uh, Masato Yoshino, and it all leads up to the in August first, which is the Speed Star Final, uh, the main event. It's the RAD team of BB Hulk and Ata versus Speed Muscle one more time for Doi Yoshi, Masato Yoshino, and Naruki Doi. And uh, this was really fun. I liked this match. I loved the tease. Masato Yoshino's on his knees. Naruki Doi's got a chair. And I was listening on English commentary, and Jay's like, no, <laughs> no, not today. <laughs> like, and Naruki Doi is so close to saying, you know what? One last time, fuck this guy. <laughs> I'm turning on his ass. But then he turns around, and he hits Eita in the head with the chair. And Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi do not get the win, because Eita then comes back and defeats Masato Yoshino. You don't leave. With a win, you leave staring at the lights, baby. Eita gets a big win over Masato Yoshino, defeats him uh, on this night. So, uh, what would you think of this match, this main event? Uh, did you did you want Doi to hit him for one more last chance? Just hit him in the head one more time with a chair. I did. Coming I kind of wanted show, it. I kind of wanted it. I did coming into the show. I'm not gonna lie. I wanted him to turn on him one more time. But then when I saw the opening video to the show and all that, I was like, you know what? It's not gonna fit the tone. I I I. Then I changed my mind. It's a little too unnecessary a heat. I yeah, went soft. Yeah. I went soft yeah. after the video they showed. They 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 you know they went through all the units he was in and went through his history. And Tony Nice got a couple seconds on the broadcast there with the with Monster Express. Uh, I thought that was funny. Like of all the Monster Express team photos, so to speak, to show they showed the one with Tony Nice who was in the group for like ten minutes. <laughs> right. That was that, that was a little weird. Um, <laughs> But no, look, it wasn't. It's got an obscene rating on Cage Match right now. 
Um, I don't know what it's doing on fucking grapple, but um, I think a lot of that is look, I, it wasn't a bad match, but do I think it's like one of the best matches of the year? Of course I don't. Um, and I think that um, there's, there's a lot of uh, emotion going into some of these ratings. Uh, or maybe did you think it was a great match? No, maybe, I didn't. Maybe I thought it was good. I thought it was really good, and I enjoyed it. But I didn't think like it was a great match. It was. It was. I liked it because of the emotion going in, and 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 just just the story of the match, and kind of the little you know little crumbs they put here and there in it. But no, I don't think it was like a tremendous bell to bell match. I think it was a really cool moment. I enjoyed watching it. But no, I I wouldn't I wouldn't put it anywhere near like a you know in terms of nerdy you, star rating. I would I would not have it very high. It's at nine and a quarter. Oh, that's right a now. little too high. That's a little too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, there were 31 votes in, so it's not like, you know, it's six people voting either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, I'm not trying to shit on the match. Like, no, you know, no, and, no, no. And the right team won, and all that, and the right guy lost. I mean, that's just, you know, you go out on your back, right? Absolutely. So you know, no problem there. I mean, a lot. Look, it's getting a lot of tens with with. Descriptions like "thank you, Speed Star." Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. And I get it. You know, I get it. Um, you know, yeah, it's it. I watched it. I enjoyed it. I thought about Masato Yoshino a lot when I was watching it. I like that he went out uh, teaming with Doi. I'm happy he didn't fucking turn on him at the end of the day. <laughs> and then they did the nice ceremony afterwards. Shingo, I believe Shima. Um, you know, a lot of people from his baseball past. A lot of baseball guys. <laughs> there was like six baseball guys. That like, Can't right. you picture him as like a what position did he play? Uh oh man, Mike Spears is gonna get very upset that I don't know this. I, I don't know what don't position know he what played, he but I just picture him as a, a, a leadoff hitter slapping it to left. Yeah, field. looks like a slappy type of guy. Yeah, chokes up on the stealing, bat and just slaps it. Stealing second base. You know, he'd obviously be a base stealer, right? Um, I would hope with that speed. Yeah, maybe a left fielder. I'm thinking a left fielder. Or a middle, maybe a second baseman or something like that. But um, a lot of people from his baseball past, um, you know, a nice thing. Then they did the thing where they tossed him in the air at the end of the show. It just makes you feel. Look, no one does this kind of thing as well as Dragon. No, no. And and I'll say about this one, which is cool, is I thought it was going to be a little bit more emotional than it was. This was kind of a fun one. And sometimes they're like death. I mean, sometimes they're like funerals. Like that one. I will never forget the Uha Nation one. Yeah. Was, oh my God, Akira Tozawa just bawling his eyes out at this guy. Like, don't go. I don't want you to yeah. go. Like, just bawling his. And that was one where you're just like, oh my God. And then the Akira Tozawa one was like, oh, Jesus Christ. It was like, a, this was just like, you know what? This guy is fucking, he can't get out of bed. He's too hurt. Whatever. You're good, man. Go watch baseball and hang. You know, you're good. Like, it, it was it was a little bit more of a happy moment than an emotion. Sometimes they're just like, they wreck you. That just absolutely wreck you. This one was not that. Everybody was kind of like, ah, you know what? He's come to the, he's resigned to this fate. It's going to happen. Whatever. Okay, cool. And the handshake, handshake, toss him in the air, hugs and stuff. And, and he did the bows and whatnot. But it wasn't like, sometimes these really get you going. And, and, and this one was, this one was a little bit more of a happy one. It's like, hey, this guy's leaving on his own, you know, his own accord. So, you know, the uh, Yuha one gave us a great moment in Dragon Gate history. <laughs> Don us- Fuji, right? I am Don Fuji. Goodbye. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don, That's you want it. to say anything? No, not really. Oh, Don, say something. All right. <laughs> like... <laughs> I am Don Fuji. Goodbye. <laughs> right, yeah. Akira Tozawa just is literally hyperventilating from crying so much. And Don Fuji well, puts here's out the a thing. cigarette. Puts out a cigarette. All right, all right give, me the, give me the mic. <laughs> <laughs> you got to think, though. 
not everybody's pals where you work, right? Right, right? exactly. Right. No, no. Yeah. You get the sense he didn't really know the guy. You know, <laughs> no, so he's like, this is my name and uh, goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take care. Have a good one, kid. Yeah. Pat on the back. Not even that from Fuji, <laughs> he though. He didn't even give him the pat on the back. Yeah. He's like, goodbye. Handed the bike to the next guy. Walked away. Lit up a cigarette, probably, and, and moved out. He introduced life, himself. So. Full name. <laughs> right. I, I am Don Fuji. Said goodbye. And then just handed the mic to fucking, you know, Masaki Mochizuki. And that was it. You know? That's one of the great moments in Dragon Gate oh history. Oh my god, yeah. Gotta be top ten. It, it did break up it did break up the uh, the moment too, because I do remember a lot of the guys snickering as well. When it was oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was good. Because they it was really gripping. It was really it. starting to kind of wear on you a bit when everybody was just bawling their eyes out. So was, Yeah. It was great. Don Fuji. What a great man. <laughs> That Fuji is. Uh, uh, anything else? I've been waiting. I've been waiting for an appropriate moment in my life to drop a. I am Joe Lanza. Goodbye. <laughs> right. And I just. I don't want to waste it on a. I, I'm waiting for the proper. You know, and I and like no one's gonna get it. Like no. who would get that reference? <laughs> Iron Mike Spears, you know? Case, me, and then a few other people. Yeah. I remember about f- five, six years ago, a kid came to the door at Halloween, and the kid was dressed like the devil and had one of those trident gimmicks. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I bent over and I was like, you know where this is going. And I was like, hey, are you Stalker Ichikawa? And the kid just looked at me. seven-year-old is like, what are you talking about? And the kid's father just looked at me. Even if he was a wrestling fan, he would have no idea. You know what I mean? Like, even even if his father was a hardcore wrestling fan, he has no fucking clue what you're talking about. That's No, no clue at all. And they both just stared at me. There's there's 0.1% and, of Americans that would get that joke. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, even less. Two of them are right. here. Right. I don't know what I was thinking, but that's just what came out of me when I saw the Trident gimmick. Because, yeah, you know, yeah, Stalker yeah. used to carry that around, like yeah. the Trident gimmick. And my first thing out of my mouth was, what are you, Stalker Ichikawa? And they, <laughs> they just stared at me like I was a fucking idiot, which I was, by the I way. I mean, you definitely were. Unquestionably, you were, yeah. Yeah, so that... It was a couple years after the Swamp Monster came to the door on Halloween. I took a picture of that one and and uh, and tweeted it out. But uh, th- my two wrestling related Halloween visits. It's getting late, Rich. What do we got next on the show? Let's go. Let's let, let's talk some. I got about a few minutes here. Let's talk NWA. Well, I, we were going to bounce, but I don't think we have enough time to bounce. So let's just let's just rapid fire the Indies okay. here. Let's talk about NWA in St. Louis. Uh, they're doing a weekend shot in St. Louis at the end of the month. Uh, and we have some uh, some details and information, some exclusive details and information about this. So uh, to set the stage for everybody, NWA Empower, which is an all-women's pay-per-view, that's going to be on the 28th. Then they have a pay-per-view the next day, the NWA 73. That's on the 29th. And then they're doing two nights of TV tapings of NWA Power. Uh, that is August 30th and August 31st. Your initial thought listening to this would be, wow, what a disaster. That's going to be a disaster for NWA. How can anybody, how can they run four nights in one uh, week or, or four nights in one, uh, one, the same place, the same market, all that sort of stuff? Two pay per views, <sighs> TV tapings, how's this going to work? Show, everything. Yeah, yeah how's that going to work? But nobody watches NWA, nobody watches Power. Who watches these pay per views? All women's, who cares? All the... Joe, what's going on with NWA in St. Louis? It's a disaster, right? Well, they already announced that they sold out the pay per view. No. Oh. <laughs> the mainline pay per view, not the Empower women's pay-per-view, but they announced that they sold out the pay-per-view, but we have inside information. Rich, they are going to sell out all four of these shows. It's unfathomable how this has occurred. And maybe it speaks to what we talk about all the time when I talk about power and you're like, Joe, no one's watching this. And I'm like, Rich, the fucking chat room on fight buzzes every time there's a fucking power. I don't know who these people are. 
are we underrating the popularity of NWA and NWA Power based on the fact that they are going to sell out all four of these shows? And Rich, that is a $120,000 gate that they're going to take home for these four shows. What the fuck? Who are these people? And uh, I have to assume Rich is dealing with his uh, zucchini bread. So, um, yeah, I don't get it. You know, four straight nights. Now, I will say that the two TV tapings have a slightly smaller attendance cap than the Mm pay-per-views. Okay? But that doesn't take away from the fact that they're on pace and people in the ticket industry, not people from the NWA who are feeding us, you know, pro wrestling nonsense. People in the ticket industry who we have spoken to about this who would know, okay? Yeah, do concert, all, do, do concert ticketing, do, do that sort of stuff. Not, not wrestling people. They do other stuff beyond people, wrestling, yeah. The ticket people that, we're, that, 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 that we have spoken to, all four of these shows are on pace to sell out and are expected to sell out $120,000 gate. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, uh, there are people. good for them. Number one, good for them. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Now the show fucking stinks, and we and I've been hard on the show, but give credit where it's due. They're gonna fill now. Look, it's nine hundred seats. It's about nine hundred seats the first two nights for the pay per views. TV tapings are slightly less. It's limit. It's less seating for the, but they're still gonna sell out all of the tickets, and they're gonna take home a hundred twenty thousand dollar gate, which I'm assuming the NWA needs that influx of cash very badly. Uh, they haven't sold a ticket in a long time. We assume they don't have many subscriptions for power, but Rich, maybe we're fucking wrong. I, dude, I don't know anymore with NWA, man. I really just don't. We, I, we, I don't know how to assess this. It's just, I, there are NWA, there are people out there. I don't know if it's a St. Louis thing. I don't know if it's the, those three letters in St. Louis. I don't know what it is, but, but credit to them. I'm a local promotion, or, or, or I, I have no idea. I, don't, I, see, I get the sense it's, it's fly-ins because... I don't. I think it's. I think they have nine hundred very loyal people who are buying tickets to all four shows. They're coming into town, and if you're coming into town, why not go to all four shows? Right. It, it, that's got to be what it is. But it's still impressive. Like I'm not taking anything away from them. But is it a matter of there's a thousand people in this country who are hardcore NWA fans who will go to some city to see a, a quadruple shot of NWA action? Is that what it is? <laughs> or, because, oh, here's the other thing that we should mention. No comps. And when we say no comps. Yeah, no comps. We've had people tell us, I tried it. They told me no. I know this guy. They told me no. I asked for one, and they told me no. We were told directly, wrestlers weren't given any comps. People helping with the show weren't given any comps. That the directive from Billy was no comps. So this, this is not papered at all. They have sold every fucking ticket. You got you to gotta give them credit. There's no other way to break this down. I don't know how they've done it, but they did it. Good. For, I'm happy for them. I think this is good. I don't want the NWA to go away. I've said it a million times. The show stinks, but I think they fill a very important hole in the, in the major league pro wrestling ecosystem. I mean – there's wrestlers on the way down that have full-time jobs there. There's wrestlers on the way up who get exposure there. I think the NWA has a very important role in the ecosystem of pro wrestling, and I want them to exist, and I want them to thrive. So this is good news, 
even though I think the show fucking stinks. All right, so you went to a show uh, this weekend. Let's let's talk about a new tech. You saw old Davy Richards. You finally saw the American Wolf, Davy Richards in the flesh. Uh, new Texas. Tell us a little bit about that show. Rich, this man hasn't lost a step. <laughs> I, I watched the match, by the way. I've seen that match. I've not watched the rest of the show, but I did watch that match. All right, I'll give you my take, and then we'll see if you agree. So, because live and on tape can be very different sometimes. I will say this about Davy Richards, and I'm not doing a meme. I didn't know what to expect. I had only seen the Battle Riot match. I hadn't seen any of his other return matches. So I did not know what to expect. He hasn't wrestled since 2017. Maybe he's lost a step. Maybe he's not quite the same. Not only do I think Davey is as good as he was before, I think he's better at certain facets. I think he's better and new and improved. His selling was better. His facial expressions were better. His mannerisms were better. The little things that he was doing uh, were better than I remembered. And of course, he still has the trademark intensity. He still has those kicks that sound like shotgun blasts. Uh, the match itself fucking ruled. It ruled. I mean, the finish where he ate the knee and did the lights out, lights on, nobody's home. Fucking sell for that uh, for that running knee at the finish was incredible. Uh, his offense was on point. He brought an in- that intensity that he would always that he, that he, that he's known to bring. I thought this match was great. I thought he was great. I thought he brought Brian Keith, who's a nice little prospect, up a level. Brian Keith matches for me are sometimes hit or miss, but I think Brian Keith worked up to Davy's level. So I think Davy fills a very valuable role on the scene. These indie wrestlers are excited to work with him. They see him as like a legend because he's been gone so long and he's from another era. And these guys are all up in their game to work with this guy. You know, I watched another Davy match uh, the other day against a, a guy I never heard of. It was, uh, I'll give it a guy's name right now. It's for a promotion called CCW. The match is on YouTube. I'm reviewing it behind the paywall. It's going to be up in a couple of days. The guy's name is uh, El Jefe Santos. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, no, I don't think I've ever guy. seen him. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen him either. Rich, notebook match. Whoa, okay. All right. Notebook match. And again, i never seen El Jefe Santos in my life, but you just watching the match, you're like, Davey's raising this guy a there, There's an aura, and there was an aura with that Brian Keith one, too. Davey came out, and it was just a different thing you know what i mean it just felt different it felt like there's a star in the building type stuff i'm with you i I totally get it and let me tell you being there live and the people i was watching it with same feeling five minutes into this match we all turn to each other and we're like this is just different no disrespect to anybody else on this card this is a different level of pro wrestling and and it's just so i completely understand what you're saying when you say that and um now listen brian keith held his fucking he was excellent in the match right there. But um, man, I'd go four and a quarter, four and a half on this somewhere in that neighborhood. It was that good. This was maybe outside of maybe that Daniel Garcia, Kevin Koo match, the best indie match I've seen this year. Uh, maybe a live bump. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was that good for me, but it was, it, it was solid as hell. I, I will definitely go notebook on it for sure. Um, no, it, it, very, very good stuff. Definitely would implore everybody. It's on independent wrestling TV. If you have a subscription, you can find New Texas on there. Uh, and you can find this Davey, uh, Davey Richards, uh, Brian Keith match. So pretty easy. But Rich, but... you see these indie wrestlers online, and they're all like, oh, I can't wait to work with Davey. Like, I know. You get, they, you get the sense that like they look up to him. Yeah, like he's... Na- nature's healing. Nature's healing. We, we told you guys. We told you the mm-hmm. bubble was going to burst. And now we got guys, former meme wrestlers, training with him. He's got his crew of dudes. You know, they, there's that picture 
that he comes oh out my God, like once every two cheating. weeks. It's it's Davy Richards and just a group of enormous men and women staring angrily at the whoever is taking this photo and they are ready to fuck shit up. The second that those people get launched onto the world, it is over. All business. All business. Every single one, not, there's not even a crack of a smile. You don't see anyone's teeth. They're just yeah. looking angrily at the camera. <laughs> All He's arms crossed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everyone has their shirt off. Everyone has their arm crossed. They are ready to kill. It is incredible. Yeah. I know we don't have a lot of time. I'll give you uh, one other thing I want to talk about on this show. The person I was impressed with the most on this show, and there's a lot of people on this show I've never seen wrestle before. There's a lot of people on this show who I've seen wrestle a million times. Nyla Rose. She's not going to show me anything new. Lowrider. I've seen him wrestle 9,000 times on Texas Indie shows. Okay, He's a professional. You put him on your show, he's going to do a nice job. Someone on this show who blew me the fuck away. And again, I turned to the people I was watching with and said, if I worked for a major league company and had the power, she would not leave this building without a contract. And her name is Rachel Rose. She blew me away. Blew me away. She will be everywhere within a year or less. And she is a lock to be a major league pro wrestler. Rich, I, I was stunned at what I was seeing out of this Rachel Rose. And let me tell you something. You want to know the amazing thing about it? She lost a squash match, and I was still blown away by her performance. She got squashed in five minutes by Nyla Rose. The story of the match was Nyla Rose. She got barely any off. This was a 90-10 match in favor of Nyla Rose. And she put her through the table at the end. She did her table gimmick that she does. So the girl got squashed, and she got put through the table. But this girl is a lock. And if I had the power, she would have been signed. She wouldn't have left that building without a contract. I was that impressed by Rachel Rose. And I know she's she's not some deep, dark secret. Yeah, yeah, she's done dark a few times, but. She's not a deep, dark secret with people who follow indie wrestling very closely. So I'm not pretending like I'm uncovering a completely undiscovered gem here. But I had never seen her before. I probably saw her matches on dark, but they were just short little three minute, you know. But this, and especially seeing her live. She just understands. She's only about two or three years in. She's a Booker T student. And her selling, her selling, and that's what I look for in a young wrestler. How do they sell? How do they emote? How do they carry themselves? How do yeah. they wrestle to the situation they're in? One thing I want to say, for, for if you're watching a new wrestler, the selling is how I look at it, too, because I know that you're – It's we always say the playing pro wrestler versus being a pro wrestler. You know what I mean? And selling is the best way to do it. When, when people are really good at selling, even in their early days, you could, you could tell, okay, they get it, and they're not ashamed to be a wrestler. They're not weird. They, they understand it. They get it. and Because and, it's a very, very tough thing to do, and it, a lot of people do not succeed at it. So, sorry. Yeah. No, that's – I approach it the exact same way because any indie wrestler knows how to do their shit. You, you know what I mean when I say that? Like they have moves that they're good at that they know they look good doing. And anyone can run through their shit. Rich, I have no idea what her offense looks like. She lost a squash. And I'm convinced that, uh, that she is going to have a huge future in pro wrestling. It just, it's just, she was just different. Than ever, and there was a wide range of abilities on this show. From people who were greener than grass that, quite frankly, were pretty terrible. To people like Lowrider who are solid 
indie wrestlers who you can trust. But he's done AEW shots too, who you can trust putting on TV to all phases in between. You know, Davey Richards was on this show on the high end. Brian Keith was on this show, high end indie wrestler. And she impressed me more than anyone with her facial expressions, her selling, the way she carried herself, confidence. And she's not a finished product by any means. She's only two, three years in, but she is going to grow into a major league pro wrestler. And it's not going to take long. It is not going to take long. And because she has that, she has the things down that normally take many years to master Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because they just come natural to her. And there are, there are wrestlers on major league TV today who I don't think sell or emote as good as she does. You either, sometimes you just either have that naturally or you don't, or you don't focus on it. She's going to get better. And I was so excited talking about her and I was, you know, standing there with a promoter and he's like, oh yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, we know, believe me, you know, it's, it's, she, you know, she's great. So yeah, no, I just, I wanted to mention that I'm writing a review for that match as well. That'll be up behind the paywall too. Um, so I'll go into more detail as to uh, how impressed I was with her, but now I'm actively seeking out her shit. She already has an entrance down and it's not one of these cornball NXT entrances where it's overly choreographed. She just commands the room mm-hmm. on her entrance. Do you know that kind of wrestler ritual? Oh yeah, that just- oh yeah, 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 yeah. You you know it's an it's an it factor. It's a it's a yeah. It's it's uh, again playing pro wrestler versus being a pro wrestler. You you can tell yeah. the difference between someone, and they just have that aura about them when they come out and they say, "I'm I'm going to own this shit for the next ten minutes. I'm owning this shit. This is my ring." Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to mention her quickly too. Um, but yeah, I know we're running low on time. And all that. Uh, there's one match on the show I didn't see, which was Roxy versus Heather Monroe. Um, I was in the car watching the ninth inning of the Reds and the Mets, and I was watching. <laughs> I was watching Sean Doolittle blow a save in the ninth. I was not happy about that, and then uh, I came in very angry after that blown save, and uh, missed the entire match. But uh, you know, then Rachel Rose got me back. Got, in got you back in, and then you got oh, a little got Davey. Got the woo. Yeah. Were you? Were you there? Were you? Were you doing the wolf? Well, he didn't come out. He came out to some really bad. Oh, that's like, right. He, oh, it was metal. a terrible metal song. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was him until he came out. Yeah, that's right. But he did climb to the top rope at one point and go, oh, yeah. So, you know, there was that. But, um, <laughs> you know, I have a, uh, well, never mind. I'll tell you later. But, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, we'll end the show out here. I uh, just want to do a quick little preview for AEW. Uh, I'm going to be there this uh, Saturday. They're running a Saturday show here. Uh, This is on Fight TV as well if you want to check it out. Uh, The card is going to be main evented by a pick-your-partner match, Fred Yehai, and the very dangerous to be announced, versus Eddie Kingston making his AEW return and his very dangerous to be announced as well. So that's the main event, Fred Yehai to be announced versus Eddie Kingston to be announced. AEW Women's Championship match, new champion Allison K against... Mel, AEW, former AEW superstar, Mel, Melanie Cruz. I know you're looking forward to that. I cannot wait. That's when, when Mel was announced, my ticket was purchased. So there you go. That's uh, I ever tell you the Mel story uh, where I or met somebody who knew her? Yeah, she did. Yeah, did not good. Me. Yeah, I'm not going to do it again. But uh, Didn't go well because you, yeah. You... So essentially they said, yeah, real quickly, someone said, uh, yo, you're a wrestling fan? I said, yeah. They said, oh, do you watch AEW? And I said, yeah. They go, oh, uh, do you know Mel? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, I know her. She's pretty good, right? And I was just like, 
Ash is good. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, so let's talk about anything else in the world. But that- that's like the kind of lie that hurts you to tell. Because- right. I, I wanted to be honest and be like, yeah. Because this person's going to go back and say, hey, Mel, I met somebody who said you're really good. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah. he was like, oh, what's the yeah. name of your podcast? And I was like, ah, we go by a different name. You know, we go from a few names. We, we change them. Because then he wanted information. I was like, do not do not relay this conversation to Mel, please, oh, for yeah. the God's sakes. He's like, well, what's the name of your podcast? I'm like, oh, you know, I, I mostly am a guest on it. Like, I'm not always on it type stuff. So uh, I went from like, oh, yeah, I cover wrestling. I talk about wrestling all the time. To like, oh, you know, sometimes. I don't really I don't really watch yeah. it. I, I DVR. The, you know, it's like, oh, God. Also, like, Mel doesn't think you <laughs> right exactly yeah. exactly so i go through numerous lies to get out of mel finding out that i think she stinks but anyway uh aw tag team championship match infamy versus Braden lee and jake uh lander uh winner gets a heritage championship match davy vega ace austin hakeem zane frontman jossie contenders match christy jane jody threat and sky blue not a great card <laughs> if you're wondering uh colt cabana versus larry d yes colt cabana making his AEW return and then Schaff versus Jake something as well. So uh, not oh. the best one, but hey, Freddie A. and Eddie Kingston, that sounds pretty good to me. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Kingston. Always a good time. Always a good time. We'll get a lovely reception, Eddie Kingston. Oh, for sure. I mean, the last time he was there, he was already a star. And now he's just going to be like, yeah, it's going to be insane. So also Matt Fitch is going to be there. Your boy Rush Jones will be there. Uh, Shane Mercer. I forgot they announced Shane Mercer on the show as well. So oh, I cannot yeah. wait. See that DJW. Yeah. DJ- W. Dumb Jock Love Wrestler, it. Shane Mercer. Yeah, well, I, maybe we'll give him a plaque. <laughs> I'll give him a plaque, a Dumb Jock Wrestler plaque. Have we officially, is he officially in? Shane Mercer? Yeah. He's a Dumb Jock Wrestler. Okay, because the last time I saw him live, he spent 20 minutes trying to lift it. <laughs> yeah. an, entire, <laughs> an entire section of bleacher seating. Yeah. And it took so long. And he finally did it. It wasn't that impressive when it was done, but he wouldn't stop. He was just like, no, I, my spot is I'm lifting the bleachers, so I'm going to lift the fucking bleachers. And it took so long yeah. for him to do it. And he did it, and it, that, that, that I think was the moment when I realized this guy's a dumb jock. Because oh, yeah. instead, instead of realizing, I can't lift these bleachers, what's even the point? It's not even worth it. He was like, no, motherfucker, I'm lifting these bleachers. Then he did, and then he just kind of like dropped them. <laughs> it didn't do anything. But... Yeah, Iron Beast. DJW tag team for sure. Okay. All right. Good. Well, I'll, I'll give him a plaque then or some sort there of. There was thing. a guy on the Texas show named Swolsif. Yeah. I was going to ask you about Swolsif. Yeah. I, I saw him on the and list I'm of. Like, uh, I'm of rubbing guys. my chin. I'm like, this is some DJW potential because not only was his name Swolsif, okay, <laughs> but his gimmick is like he's got the amateur wrestler gimmick. He had oh, the singlet okay. And the wrestling shoes, right? And he was all put, he was put together, you know? Um, Mm, yeah, oh. the less said about Swolsif, the better. I think. Oh, Poor- no. Listen, listen. He's he's young. He's green. He's got some time. Let <laughs> no. let's talk about Swolsif in five years. Okay. Remind me to talk about Swolsif. <laughs> put a put a pin in Swolsif. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's put a pin in Swolsif because the name and the look is is you know is got the DJW potential, but uh, Swolsif has a ways to go. <laughs> I will say this about the show. It's really cool, this Texas Indie Showcase, where they're bringing in, you know, cars came from every fucking city in Texas. So you get all these wrestlers from nine different promotions from every corner of of this gigantic state. But what that does is it exposes all of this talent to nine different promoters from all over the state, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a good idea on paper to, you know, and you 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 know, you want to bring your best and 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 impress everybody with with the talent that you have. You should see all these promoters like rubbing their chin, watching the matches, you know, drooling at the, you know, the, you know, you know how these promoters are rich. 
ready to pounce on the, the uh, uh, on this young, unsuspecting talent. These shysters like Biss, you can't trust. Oh, these you guys, can't trust right? him. Yeah, what a. So, yeah, so they're checking out all the, but it's a good idea to bring all this talent together from all corners of the sure, state. Sure, getting more work's good. Yeah, everybody should get yeah, more. Not work. just to fans, but to all these promoters. And they they noted afterwards too, it wasn't just the nine promoters, but there were other promoters who didn't have matches on the card who showed up too, you know, to take a look at this fresh meat. So it was an interesting concept, and um, it's something that I hope they they do more of moving forward, especially in a state like Texas, which is so big that. You know, if you're booking shows in, I don't fucking know, Corpus Christi, when are you ever going to see the guys from Lubbock? I mean, you know, and, and it, it's good exposure for everyone, you know, instead of just the Austin guys getting booked in Austin and maybe you, you, you bring some Houston guys up now and then. But other than that, I mean, you know, I saw, you know, probably about a dozen wrestlers that I've never seen before in my life. And I've been to a million shows down here. So and that's uh, awesome. That, that's one of my favorite yeah. things about going to shows is seeing people you've never seen before, especially in like discovering new wrestlers is just an awesome thing. It, it's just yeah. it, it, it reinvigorates you in some ways because you're like, oh, cool. I never saw this. But, you know, it just really makes you kind of and then, then you kind of start taking notes. and Because, you know, we see all I mean, everybody, most major wrestlers we've seen wrestle, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And it gets boring sometimes. So it's how many uh, how many Osprey clones you got up there? In got Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, not that many. Uh, I had one on this show. Oh, yeah? Which guy? Oh, this guy was watching his Will tapes, believe me. <laughs> My man. <laughs> Who was it? Hey, he's got to watch a few more, but he's, he's <laughs> it's you know, he was watching his, his Will tapes. He's a kid by the name of uh, Chris Carter. Okay. Uh, very, very, I think he's a, uh, I was told he's a uh, Ninja Mac trainee. So a you have Ninja a Ninja Mac, Mac trainee? Yes. Oh no. <laughs> he is a Why is Ninja Mac training people? Think about this. He's a Ninja Mac trainee who clearly studies his Will Ospreay. So okay. think about what what I what this kid <laughs> Yeah, this guy they He's... call uh, Brian Cage give Mr. get your shit in. I bet uh, Chris Carter got his shit in in whatever amount of time he was allowed to get his shit in. So Listen, I appreciate the gumption, you know? He uh <laughs> and he he was in a fans bring the weapons match on top of that. Okay. So right. put all that together. But he had Willow Spray gear. He's doing Willow Spray moves. All right. I like it. Uh, it's, you know, but there's going to be a lot of Osprey clones out there right now. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it, that's going to be a thing. That's why I was curious. But, uh, you know, you're going to AAW shows, though. You're yeah, I need to go. Products. I need to start going to some more uh, Chicago yeah. style wrestling and some real, real deep, deep stuff. You yeah. got to get deeper. You yeah, know, I, I sometimes will go to the early show. I'll, I'll try to get to the live tapings to see some people I haven't seen before. But yeah, I got to start getting a little deeper. It's out there. I got to watch it, though. All right. That's it for the show. We've gone grossly over time, but that's all right. We, we Not enough to make it an overrun, but enough to, to go well well over our time. But hey, we, we'll ask for forgiveness later. Anyway, uh, that's it for us. Voicesofwrestling.com, at Voices Wrestling on Twitter. Voicesofwrestling.com slash Discord. Of course, Voicesofwrestling.com slash Patreon. $5, $10 tier gets you everything that we do here. $10 tier gets you live flagships, including the No Dopes chat room. $5 tier gets you bonus Joe and Rich. You want to be a $10 subscriber, though, because you're going to get the new SummerSlam Scrambler where I'm going over SummerSlam main events. You're going to get November to remember. You're going to get the written content. I just wrote an article about SummerSlam main events. You got written reviews coming up. A lot of stuff available uh, at the $10 tier with patreon.com slash voices wrestling or voices of wrestling.com slash Patreon. So that's it for us. So for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Krejci. We'll talk to you next time on the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.